Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, guys. It's Out of Darkness Into the Light, and I'm here with Chris McCombs. And uh, we have a dilemma around here. We have an evolving cosmology. And uh, when I was talking to Brian and Justin last night, uh, Chris, I was saying that, you know, the difficulty of actually knowing what our Earth is like, and actually we actually get off, uh, you know, the planet and look down at um, and observe it. We can't, we can't do that. So people need to realize this difficulty, and they're just trusting someone to tell us, Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. If you don't do that, then you got a big problem because our our traditions have been truncated, mm-hmm. unreliable, not sure anymore. We don't trust the past. So mm-hmm. anyway, I guess you wanted to share some stuff with me. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, I really thought a lot about those points you raised when you were talking to me about the concave cosmology and how I thought a lot about you raised some really good points like. Uh, I was thinking about Stephen Christ cosmology and basically how... Why don't you explain Stephen Christ just real quick, because people don't know who yeah. mm-hmm. Our Lord and Savior, Stephen Christ. <laughs> this is a cosmology cult, you know. We're, we're coming out of the closet for the first time. Mm-hmm. Dave, why do you have to do that? <laughs> no, you want to explain him uh, to the, our audience? Uh, yeah, he's this YouTuber who... Uh, claims he's the reincarnation of Christ, and he, I think he also claims he's actually the reincarnation of Cyrus Teed. you got to be kidding was, me. Yeah, no, no, he, he also, yeah, he claims that too. Right there, um, okay, he is not trying to have long-term credibility. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, it's obvious. Okay, so what is his purpose? His is, um, you know something? Let's let's go with this theory. The, the, well, the, the problem is, is the problem is we used to think that the dialectic was between a convex Earth and a flat Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, pr- pretty much in all of his videos, like the butt of all his jokes are on at flat Earthers. Like he mocks them more than he mocks convex mm-hmm. people. So I don't. I I almost wonder if. Maybe the truth is closer to a flat Earth, and they put him out to marginalize that view even more, because I know they've already made a mockery out of that with the Flat Earth Society and all that, you know, which they pretty well, much started. We, to, um, we, we, we talked about last night, and we've talked about before, how propaganda has to be simple in order to be effective. So what mm-hmm. they do, they simplify things. And uh, I... I have a working theory that what they're doing is they're taking a slightly uh, concave Earth and just flattening it. And that's what they offer you over and over and over again. And that's what he attacks, too, because that would actually be more effective. Because until the time, 
until you know the last moment when they're basically forced to do it. They don't really want to come out and tell you. You know, stop and think about it, Chris. Do you really think that he would want to? Let's let's say let's proceed off the premise that the true shape of the Earth is it's it's a shallow bowl. Okay, why would you want to come out and actually attack that at this point? You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep it lingering in the dark corner as long as possible, and uh, just attack the flat Earth, which is similar but not exactly the same. Doesn't that make sense to you? It does to me. Yeah, but the you thing know, we're is, we're still trying to figure it out. You see, so why help us along? The thing about all these things about about convex or concave, even if even if it's even if it's slight or shallow or gradual or whatever, that's still you're still trusting something outside of what you can verify with your senses. Yeah. Because if we're just going off our senses, this is what I've been thinking recently. If we're just going off our senses alone, what our senses can tell us. They, I mean, the only thing that they can tell me is that the Earth is flat. I mean, it's it's level. It's horizontal. It's a horizontal plane, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you look around, you don't, you can't sense any curvature. We can't sense any curvature ourselves. We got to take that on second hand, you know. I mean, I mean the, con- the concave guys. What I'm saying is the concave guys. They're doing the exact same thing that the convex people do. They're I mean, they're they're relying on these experiments that nobody can reproduce or replicate or verify for themselves. The average person can't replicate the rectilineator device and reproduce that experiment, can they? No. They can't reproduce these experiments that supposedly show that light curves. They can't do that either. I mean, the whole premise of the concave stuff is basically that you can't even trust your own senses, so trust our interpretation of what cosmology is instead, pretty much. Well, let me ask you uh, something, because I never thought about it for some reason. Um, have you ever looked in, in, in the information that uh, some guy out there that, you know, he, uh, you know, he's a he's a pilot. He flies his own private plane, and he's interested in this kind of thing, and he's up there, you know, flying around and, and looking around. You ever run into mm-hmm. anything like that? Uh, I don't think so, no. Well, in that Flat Earth Society forum, that thing is just vast amount of information in there, and they got a good search engine, you might want to uh, put pilot in there and see what happens. That would be mm-hmm. interesting. I could do that here. My internet connection keeps dropping in and out. Mm-hmm. We got punished last night. Um, they didn't like that, what we did. They took his site down, Brian's site. He said that has never happened, and it happened immediately before we went on the air. And then, after that, now my internet uh, is just on and off. It's Back and forth, back and forth. Very irritating. They were actually thinking along those lines, you know. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, also, uh, you know, mountain climbers. Like, uh, of course, you know, when you get up on the Everest, the last thing you're thinking about is cosmology. But I mean, I, I mean, does it appear to be flat, or is anybody thinking about it? That's just something to think about. Well, that's the thing, because that all comes down to what what the horizon really is and how that's created. <laughs> well, because concave, thing, um, concave people say, concave people say that the horizon is created by the Earth curving up, but light curves more than the Earth curves. That's why you can't you can't see the other side of the Earth because light's actually curving more than the curvature of the Earth in inside the Earth. 
So when you get higher and stuff, that's why the horizon the horizon line always raises to your eye level. It always stays at your eye level is because you're inside the earth and it's just, it's you know, the land's actually curving up. You're inside of it. But light is curving more and that's why you can't see, you can't see past that horizon line. But the problem is, is I, I've been looking a lot into that and that, that made sense to me at first. But then I read like the flat earth. Uh, proponents explanation of the horizon and it it makes way more sense I mean it, they, they explain it just as the horizon's just like an optical illusion basically it's just created by a law of perspective like you know when you look down a really long tunnel if you look down a long enough tunnel or if you look you know you look down train tracks they'll appear to you know, raise, you know what's in the background will appear to raise higher than what's in the foreground. It'll appear to be higher, even though it's on the same plane. You know, it's on the same. It's actually on the same elevation. And then, you know, like uh, if you if you're looking down a really long tunnel, like the ceiling will appear at the end of the tunnel to like converge with the floor. You know. And they say like that's basically what the same thing is going on when you. It's the same effect as, like, creating the horizon. Like, it's just, it has to do with angles. It has to do with, you know, you have a limited perspective. So, basically, everything angles up to the horizon line. You know, the surface angles up to it and the sky angles down to it. And that's just what creates that vanishing point, you know, which is that, you know, it's just, it's it's like a perspective thing, you know. It's like an optical illusion. It's got nothing to do with, you can't use that as evidence of any curvature, which is what concavers do. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think I think it actually I think the the horizon actually requires like a level surface, like a flat like a horizon like a um horizontal surface to work. Because the horizon line is always, yeah, it's always is slightly uh concave. That can be explained away easily, can it? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. That's not some big issue, right? Uh, no, no, I don't think so, no. There's a common human tendency to focus on the information that's set in our lap. So all you ever hear is about, you know, hollow earth, or flat earthers trying to prove a hollow earth. But a lot of their evidence, I'm saying, can, can also prove a, a shallow bowl theory. Not some big, huge, significant difference. Mm-hmm. At least most of the time, I'm not sure. There has to be a difference sometimes. Well, that would mean that the measure that would mean that the results of the rectilinear rectilinear experiment were definitely false. Is what that would have to mean. Oh yeah. <laughs> because they they apparently got the exact same measurements that that uh, you know NASA puts out for the convex Earth. You know they got that it curves it curves eight inches to the mile, but the opposite direction, up instead of down. Why don't you say something about that experiment so that people know what you're talking about? Well, it was an experiment that was conducted in the 1800s by, uh, you know, Cyrus Teed. Uh, 1900s. Oh, was it 1900s? Okay. Yeah, by, oh, by Cyrus. No, you're huh? right. 1800s. 1900s. Yeah, 18. Yeah. I mean, just a long time ago by Cyrus Teed and uh, this engineer named Ulysses S. Morrow, or G. Morrow, I think, one of the two. But anyway, they just created this device, this 
basically this, uh, I can't even really explain it really. It's just this leveling device and they went along this, uh, I don't know, like a coastline and basically created just a, a physical, a physical line. And, and, and it was, uh, it was basically the, they were measuring it against the, the sea line in the background. And when they, when they would move this leveling device along the coast, the sea line eventually rose. You know, they had like measurements on the horizontal post that was holding this leveling device up and it actually rose, you know, up from its original position, which proved that supposedly that the earth was actually curving up. You can see pictures of this um, on Google Images of them doing this experiment. Mm-hmm. The women standing out there in these long dresses. Yeah. Um, I mean, Eric Eric said that he was saying that maybe his device was flawed, but that's the thing. Like, Wild Heretic went went into all that, and apparently there was, like, no indications of any fault with the device itself, like any record of any anything at least. Because, I mean, they, supposedly they even had a you know, opponents who are there who actually held to the Copernican uh, system, you know, the heliocentric model, and they, they couldn't find any fault with the device. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and he, you know, he, he said he, he the reason he chose to use that device is because he wanted to create a physical line, you know, an actual physical line that could be measured. He didn't want to rely on, you know, because he, he knew that, you know, like I said, when you look down long tunnels, like it's your perceptions, like it's a, it's illusory, you know, it's, you can't trust light. So he wasn't going to trust any, any sort of like, he wasn't going to use the horizon as proof or anything. That's why he wanted to create a, a physical line instead of, you know, relying on anything else. Cause he knew that light was like deceptive. You can't trust it. So, <clears throat> That's why he created that physical line with the that leveling device, and then measured that against the against the water line, which was under it. But well, let's, let's mention these uh, these mine experiments. And maybe we'll go back. Yeah, the the, the tamrac kind of solution with that. The only thing that I was ever the reason I converted to the concave Earth theory. I, well, we, we talked about the revelation thing, but. Um, I have mentioned that before, so. But um, I had to concoct a conspiracy theory that, um, well, actually, there's two conspiracy theories. One is it's completely false, and every time that they conduct these experiments, it's just um, the conspirators are doing it. Yeah. And then, then yeah. you have to, you know, explain why they would do that. But you don't necessarily have to answer that question. Just because cause you may not understand. So you don't have to explain it. You see that? Mm-hmm. That it is a problem, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now they could do it just to create confusion. Well, that's why. Well, that's one of the things that I was thinking. Maybe they just put this whole concave stuff out just to totally confuse people, and just you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. completely obfuscate and bury the actual ancient cosmology even more, you know, and just marginalize it that much further. And cover all the options. Yeah. Base. And then they can uh, refer back to it at some point in the future. Now I don't I don't believe that. I think they did that because this is the true cosmology. 
the real question is how what's the what's the curvature of the earth and and then they'll use it as a reference point and see um our lord and savior stephen christ he um he's actually verifying the true cosmology in my in my mind because why is he doing all this you see now he's going to fool most people because that's because they haven't learned how to think. And we were talking about this over and over last night. You look for these patterns, and you can act, propaganda will actually reveal the truth once you realize how they work, and, and you know these patterns that they use. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because see, that's what I was going to mention earlier. I mean, he, he, it's all a mockery. So why is he doing? No, that? I know. It's mocking yeah. the truth. Mm-hmm. But see, most people wouldn't think that way, would they? Mm-mm, no. That's the same thing I believe that Cyrus Teed was doing. He, like we said before, I mean, he was more of a mockery. Joseph Smith was more of a, I don't know. If you actually look into Joseph Smith, because they were related, we've mentioned that before. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing. That's another thing that concavers, they never mention. They don't mention any of that stuff on Cyrus Teed. Like, Cyrus Teed has so much dirt on him, you know? I mean, yeah. First of all, you know, he was a distant cousin to Joseph Smith. I mean, that automatically right there tells you that he was a bloodline, you know, on an elite. Yeah. And then uh, if you look into this, have you looked into how he supposedly got this this cosmology, like his revelation of, of this cosmology, of his yeah, cosmology? Yeah, he got it from the great god. Yeah, that, that, you know, the, the goddess is involved, you know, and that they love, they love to put into all these things. So that right there tells you that, that that was probably just a story that's completely just fabricated, I would say probably. Well, you it's got their it's got it's got their signature all over all over it, you know. Yeah. I mean, Most hardly anybody can process this, so it's like, well, why even bother to mention it there? But um, you and I actually both believe that this lesser messianic figure will be interacting with this being in the future. It's like inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> you would agree with me on that, right? And yeah. People go, huh? Okay, but anyway, maybe if someone listens to this like in 10 years, they'll get it. Okay, but anyway, because uh, she's going to be very important in the future, we believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I mean, they would have knowledge of that because it's it's like obvious to us. Just because it's not obvious to other people, it's obvious to us. And so because it's obvious to us, they know they knew it too. And so they threw that in there for good measure. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, preliminary, but people are getting indications in the background. Now, this is not coming from me. I was going to say that. I keep myself off the hook. That she is actually the one that's ruling uh, right now. Um, this world system. So that would explain a lot of things. It's, in other words, it's matriarchal. Mm-hmm. There's a big mm-hmm. cover. I used to believe that years ago when I rejected it. So anyway. Complex subject. Yeah, I don't know though. I'm just I mean it everything that the concave sky centric theory, like I, I look at it now and basically all of it is just it's basically the premise of all of it is you can't trust your own senses like and literally everything that your senses tell you, the opposite is actually the case. You know, when you look up into the night sky and you see that, you know, the sky appears to be a dome, you know, it appears to be vaulted, it's actually, curv- it's actually curving the other way, is what they say. 
basically it's the op- everything your senses are actually telling you it's the opposite. So don't trust I think your senses. To a, I think they're trying to cover it up. Yeah. Or so, I mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying that. I mean, it, the flat Earth model it, it relies more on your, what you can actually verify yourself as opposed to this concave model. They're doing well, the exact same the stuff that con- I mean, you're, you're talking about sky centrism. Yeah. Well, I mean, a concave and sky centrism go hand in hand because if you hold to the concave theory, you're going to hold to the sky centric. They're just they're inclusive of each other. Because obviously, if you if you hold to no, I'm a geocentrist, and um, uh, Stephen Christ is a sky centrist. But we yeah, both but I mean, his, his, his model. His 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 theory is like the popular. I mean, it is pretty much the sky centric theory. You know, it's 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 the popular theory. I mean, Wild Heretic his his varies a little bit, but. I mean, everybody who's basically talking about this theory, they all hold to the, pretty much the same thing, just with minor variations. And they're all sky-centric. Well, that shows you that they're not thinking because, properly. Because, well, yeah, more because they, all, they all hold to the the Earth is a sphere, you know, and it's just curving the other way. It has the exact same circumference as, the, as, as what they tell us the convex globe has, you know, 25,000 miles circumference. So it has the exact same diameter, 8,000 miles. You know, it's the exact same size. And, you know, so obviously if you hold to that, that you know, the Earth is a inverted, you know, hollow, enclosed, con- concave sphere, you'd have to hold to sky centrism, you know, by ne- necessity. You'd have to hold that, you know, space or heaven or whatever you want to call it is actually a sphere in the middle of that, you know, smaller You know what? You see what I'm saying? Actually, I just put my shirt over my 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 head. I put the phone down. <laughs> I just missed you. That's the only time I've done that. But I, I know I didn't get all that. Yeah, I was basically just saying if 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 you hold to this the popular concave Earth model, you have to hold to the sky centric model just just by necessity because it, it follows by necessity. It, I, hold, if you hold, I hold myself in very high esteem as somebody who's able to decipher propaganda. I, I don't yeah. see anybody that I seems I'm impressed with that's able to do that. But when I look at the propaganda, because you know there's propaganda, if I just focus on one thing, and this is an interesting thing to ponder, okay, just focus on one thing. If you focus on the propaganda, because we know there's propaganda, what is the most likely model of the Earth that would be the highest probability? See, see, this is the problem with the flat Earth. See, no, I, I was, I would actually say, I was going to say flat, but well, they're offering, they've been offering that dialectic for years. Sphere versus flat. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, the and go with science. You don't want to be a weirdo, do you? Why would they... So you keep talking about how they they want to just cover it up and just, you know, block it out. Well, why would they offer it to you? It's better to... um, You know, it it makes sense to me to um, make a similar 
uh, cosmology, but not exactly, and mock that, and because it will still uh, accomplish keeping people away. Like, let's say it's a shallow bowl, it will still be effective. But see, you can accomplish two things at once. You can also hide it. Why come out and reveal it? So I think that the true cosmology is something that nobody talks about. And if you look around, do you see anybody arguing about a shallow bowl? Or, uh, you know, a a slightly uh, domed earth? You know what I mean? They just ignore it. It's always something extreme, flat, spherical. You see that? But that ain't in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we talk around about around here? You know, truth in the middle. I mean, to me, it's crying out that it's something. You but know, my that idea means it's not is flat. that it's just. Yes, that means it's not flat. You see that? Well, my idea is that it's just its level. Like for for the, the general part, it is it is quote unquote flat. And what I mean by that, I just mean it's horizontal. It's level. But I think some parts of it are concave and some parts of it are convex. You know, it has a regularity. You know? I, I mean, I've almost, I've almost thought that maybe, like, a possible explanation for that, uh, for the rectilinear experiment is maybe they that part of the Earth that they measured was concave. Maybe there's just parts of it that are concave and parts That's of it that are concave. Huh? That's a fascinating theory. I've talked about Yeah, that. I mean, but I think for the most part, generally, it's just level. You know, it's what your senses tell you it is. It's level. It's horizontal. It's a horizontal plane that's level. I mean, <laughs> that's what your senses tell you. And all these theories, they want you to ignore your senses. Like the concave theory, they want you, they want you to think that you can't trust. Like, why would God give you your senses so you can't trust them? Uh-huh. That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me, you know. That doesn't sit right with me. It just doesn't. It doesn't sound right. I mean, why why would he create your senses so that the opposite would actually be the case of what your senses are telling you, you know, about your reality, about nature and stuff? Doesn't make any sense. Well, would you agree with me that if you look at the night sky, your senses tell you that it appears to be a dome? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that, that's going to nullify a spherical Earth because you can't really reconcile those. Right. No, I know. I mean, I guess you could. You could say that the Earth is a perfect sphere and it's floating in Oceanus. That that you'd have, that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to float it in water because you can't rest on another object. But that's mm-hmm. absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you could put it on a little. Uh, pedestal or something, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's the cosmology you want, but, I mean, it makes it less likely that it's a sphere just based on um, the dome in the sky. But, yeah, I mean, we mentioned before, if you go outside and you just look at the, at the night sky, it does appear to be a dome. Yeah. And it's what people used to believe, all, everybody, it, it, once you go back far enough. Yeah, I've I've even been reading. Uh, I'm I'm reading through the books of Enoch now, and uh, I mean, I, the cosmology in there is definitely not is definitely not the you know the Koreshian cosmology. It's completely incompatible. Let's, let's distinguish between um, sky centrism from now on and uh, geocentric concave. I would go so far as it's just. 
I think sky centrism is a is a historical anomaly. It's just propaganda. And so uh, when I say concave, it would always be um non sky centric and um if we say sky centric then we said, Oh, we're talking about this kind of con concavity now. It's just the the I just call it the Koreshian cosmology because that's what it is. In other words, I'd like to get people to just ignore sky centrism because I think it's a distraction. Well, I mean, I I don't even know if it's a historical anomaly because did you see that that uh those maps that that guy that guy made that video of? Yeah, I was just going to mention that you know that. Like first uh, I actually, map. and he actually he referenced uh, Ptolemy. Apparently, I've looked into Ptolemy Ptolemy's cosmology. Yeah. Apparently, he actually thought he actually because he made maps and the maps that he made were he actually depicted the land as concave, as curving up. But he also supposedly believed the Earth was a sphere, so... Now, I think that right there, he would have believed in the the inverted sphere. But then he also depicted uh, the heaven, you know, as a a celestial sphere. So, I mean, I don't know how much... I don't know how much this is actually a historical anomaly, because it seems to me like it, it goes back farther than we originally thought, but I don't know. I mean... I haven't talked about this yet, but I have a theory that um, when they put what appears to be a sphere out there, which at least sometimes could be a disc, I don't think it, it's what um, – I'm not trying to say this is always true, but I don't, I don't think it's what, what you think it is. I think it's something else. I think it's sometimes it's something esoteric. Um, the reason I believe that because I don't believe in a celestial sphere. <laughs> well, I mean, the the problem is though is, is Ptolemy definitely did though. Well, I was going to say I, I don't trust, but but Ptolemy for nothing. It's like Plato. Well, here. I know, but I'm I'm just. I mean, my question would be why did he depict the cosmology like that though? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I think you know he he created a podcast how to think straight about um, ancient cosmology maps. Okay, and I think what's important to point out. Is that see everything was filtered through their system, so why yeah. did they let this map exist, and why does this map look this way? Because it, it it it's all been filtered. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, so it, in other words, it got through the filter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now it's through the filter. It's on the other side. Now let's look at it. The maps from obscure, um, you know, cartographers. Like we we don't even know who this guy is. What happened to? Him? We don't know anything about him. Those are the ones we should pay the most attention to. Mm-hmm. If you start to see, like, that first map that you sent me on uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. that is absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, the one where they had a concave. Yeah, the one where it was, like, the face, his face, and then it was the... It was... Uh, I can't remember what yeah, about the... it. But um, wasn't that some obscure guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they could they could let some of the truth go through and just kind of um, just to see how people react to it because there's a low risk. In other words, not have a complete blackout. Show it, show us a little instead of showing us nothing because the risk is low. Uh, in order to uh, satiate their own uh, curiosity, because one thing about the Illuminati, they're they're curious because they have a dark nature. If you have a dark nature, mm-hmm. you'll be curious. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, like the you know, the lab rat principle that we talk about around here. 
Mm-hmm. That's why they do that, because they're curious. You can be a good lab rat. They'll keep you around for a while. Because they're curious, you see? Mm-hmm. So um, they do put things out there, if there's minimal risk, the truth. And just to see how people will react. Because they're assuming that, well, now you got to understand now, you got to look at what do we actually believe. What we actually believe is the truth is going to come out. Sometimes you, you forget the big picture. The truth is going to come out. So that's why I believe that Cyrus T. got out there and mocked the Davidic prince, who was the Elijah figure, and we believe, well, actually, what is Matthew seventeen eleven telling you about whether or not he's going to have the true cosmology? What is that verse telling you? Remember, uh, cosmology is the fabric of our reality. So that, that yeah. means very important. So that's telling you that he's going to have the true cosmology. Now ask yourself this question. Do, do the Illuminati believe that as well? You better mm-hmm. believe it. Mm-hmm. So they know that he's going to have the true cosmology. So now what you're doing is you're, you know that they suppressed it. <clears throat> and we also know that Cyrus Teed is a mockery. There's too much evidence. Okay? Yeah. Now yeah. look at his cosmology. Stephen Christ is the exact same. You see, it looks like Stephen Christ's whole purpose is to lay the groundwork for, and this this will happen inevitably, okay? When this guy emerges, they want him to be identified with David Koresh, Cyrus Teed, Stephen and Christ, uh, yeah. Stephen Christ. Now, is that, isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. But see, if that is true, then that means that um, he has a variation of the truth. Remember what I said earlier? They're not going to give you the straight truth because they don't need to. Hide it as long as possible, okay, and give a false con- a cave model, okay, because that way you can you can accomplish two things at once. You can keep it the, the secret hidden as long as possible, but you can still confuse people about um, the concave nature of the Earth because they want to accomplish one basic thing. They want to link Stephen Christ with the Elijah figure mm-hmm. because that they already did this with David Koresh. Mm-hmm. Very effective. Yeah. And so when this guy comes out, they'll say, "Oh, here we go again. We got mm-hmm. another one." You see? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many people will fall for this. You will see the media talking about David Koresh a lot, and trying to uh, this this guy is just like David Koresh. Yep. And when it comes to cosmology, you will see all these internet type types out there mentioning. Um, this guy's beliefs in the same context as the Stephen Christ. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying Stephen Christ is totally bogus. Just ignore the guy, but they won't be able to. So that's the problem with propaganda. It is effective. They, 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 they put all this stuff out there, and unfortunately now it's going to be linked. So it will. Ha- that's why you've got to learn how to think. And, uh, and just ignore all this See, the problem is there's truth in it. You see, that's the problem, okay? So it's very tempting to to peer into it all because you don't have the truth out there right now. This is all you have. And he keeps cranking out this stuff, which is a mixture of truth and error. And so it's um, you know, it's very tempting to you know, sift through it and try to extract you know what you can. I mean, they, they want you to do that, you know. See, he's not. I'm, I'm saying he's not going to offer you the straight truth. So that that right there will tell you that um, it's unlikely 
from the, from the get-go that sky-centrism would be the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you have a concave model, but 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 not sky sky-centric. Something else. Um, see, I think the rap the curvature is too radical in that model. Now, if you were up like on a high a high place, and this is what you keep saying over and over again, or like up at a plane. It doesn't uh, seem to verify that that radical of a curvature, right? I mean, that's what you. Can well, do. it depends what you, what your view on the horizon is. Yeah. Well, you know I mean, more, it, more about that subject than I do. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing again. That's dependent on what what the horizon is, because they say you know when when you the horizon the horizon the horizon line always stays at your eye level, no matter where you're at. You go up on a mountain, if you go on a plane, you look out the window, the horizon still somehow is at your eye level, which is obviously impossible if we're standing on a ball. The horizon would obviously have to decline the higher you go, you know. If you're on a, if you're on a ball, that's what would have to nece- necessarily follow. So we can we can already you know, we can automatically rule that out. Just what would happen that. if you so, had a, a powerful Let's say like you were in a plane and you had some kind of powerful uh, telescope-type device that would magnify everything. Would that verify anything? Well, that's the thing. That's, the same that's, what I, that's what I think, too, because what I don't understand is how there could be these accounts of people seeing, you know, 30 miles and stuff across water through through telescopes and stuff and them still not seeing any curvature. Mm-hmm. Even even concave. I'm talking about you know one guy's flying a plane, and you got the other guy that's free, and he's got some kind of uh, goggles or something, uh, mm-hmm. a headpiece that magnifies everything powerfully. As powerfully is 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 legal because they control all this stuff. You can only magnify things so much. Whether it's either a telescope or a microscope, they will only give you so much magnification. See, yeah, you know that. Yeah, because see how how the concavers get get out of that. They how they get out of you not seeing any curvature is they say that light curves more than the curvature of the Earth. That's why you're not seeing the curvature. But my thing is, if you're looking through a telescope, you should be able to see. You should eventually be able to see some curvature. Like if you're seeing like twenty, thirty miles, based on their what they say of their rate of how you know how. Rapidly, the Earth is curving up. It's curving up the exact same, you know, eight inches to the mile that the NASA puts out for the convexor. So you should be able to see. You should be able to see that through a telescope. My my intuition is it tells me, um, you know, when I like decipher propaganda, that mm-hmm. all this um, talk about well, these things that you're talking about is all it's, it's confusion. Just like um, these mathematical theories that yeah. they gave to try to explain away things, because this is what they do. We know they do this kind of thing. This is what they do with Einstein. And did yeah. this have to do with um, the spherical Earth, or, or no? It had to do with whether the Earth was moving or not. It had to do with the ether, yeah. Um, Disproving, well, burying the ether in obscurity. They did all these tests and stuff like that, and it indicated that the Earth was not uh, revolving; it was stationary. Yeah, yeah. And then um, they they basically gave, because this is what happened. Einstein was fake. He was a plagiarist, and his wife was way more intelligent than he was. She was coming up with yeah, well, that's, that stuff. Yeah, that's, 
That's why they had to invent relativity was to yeah, there you go bury all that was to bury you know bury the ether into obscurity and you know yes they, that's they how they did it with um it's actually there's only a I know this is true um there's only a few people on the planet at any given time they can actually understand um, his his mathematical uh, computations it's completely over people's heads. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's there's young guys out there on the Internet that will listen to propagandists, and these are propagandists that they talk about, like, complex things. When you and I listen to them, we, we go, this is just a bunch of gibberish. You see? That's the exact same thing with Stephen Price. If you don't have and... knowledge, it will sound profound to you. See, that's, and that's a psyop the... with Einstein. It's just... It's the same thing that Stephen Christ is doing, too. Now, I believe, yes, it's a technique. I believe that this is what they're they're most likely doing um, with the things you're talking about, um, you know, looking at the the earth and stuff like that. That's what I think is going on. Mm -hmm. They're trying to cover something up, make it complicated. Yeah. I, I mean, the problem is, is that in all these accounts of these people, I mean, even you can look on videos, people looking through, you know, they're zooming in with their cameras and stuff and looking, you know. I mean, it, <clears throat> you should start seeing, like, if they're looking at an object in the distance and they're, they're you should start seeing that object, like, slant. You know, it should start slant up. If the earth is curving up, you know, it, it shouldn't stay level. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Things should things should start slanting up. You know, angles of of shadows and light should start varying and stuff. Everything wouldn't be staying level. But that's all you see in in these things. And even in all these, you know, all these accounts, nobody mentions anything. Of, they don't they don't mention any curvature or anything. Everything stays level. That's mm-hmm. that's a problem. Well, it appears to stay level. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe slight curvature. <laughs> Which is what I believe. I'm going with the slight curvature right now because it, it solves the most problems. Once you start to get more radical curvature, then it creates problems. Did you agree mm. Yeah, yeah, yep. You guys start explaining things. Yeah, because even even uh, like because I've been I, I when I thought about it, I was thinking like, wouldn't pilots have the exact same problem in a in a convex in a concave Earth that they they have on a convex Earth? Wouldn't they have to like account for the curvature the exact same way? Yeah, pilots never have to. You know, it's like it's admitted that pilots never have to make any adjustments for any curvature. Wouldn't that also apply to a, an enclosed concave Earth? You know, that's rapidly curving up the same at the same rate. What pilot are convex- you talking about? Are you talking about? Um- Professional ones or ones that are flying in a private plane? I'm talking about any pilots. Okay. You see what I'm saying, though? Wouldn't wouldn't they have to make adjustments according to that curvature? Connie says that the the, you, the, you, the timing of these flights absolutely proves that the Earth cannot be a sphere. It's, it's virtually impossible. Because mm-hmm. all, the, all the timing of the flights is completely wrong. It, it can't be reconciled. See, that's funny because Wild Heretic actually says that uh, he actually says that like one of the evidences for the Earth not not being flat is flight times. So I don't know what he I don't know what he means by that, but 
I don't even know why you'd rely on flight times or even use that as evidence against the Earth being being flat. That doesn't even make sense to me. Because, I mean, that could all be manufactured and contrived and, you know, I mean... No, maybe he's right about that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that could... I mean, that should... To me, me, that that shouldn't speak of the the shape of the Earth or anything. I mean, I don't see how that would determine it. It would be a determiner. Connie <clears throat> saw this on some video that her mom was watching. I haven't, I haven't looked at it yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to forget this, but you know these uh, Tamarack mine experiments. How are you? What's your best explanation at the present? Oh, I have no, I, I have no idea. What's it? No idea. Well, <laughs> no. See, that's why I converted to the. I go if you have to resort to this extreme of a conspiracy theory. Now, my conspiracy theory. We were doing a podcast, and you just abruptly said you had to go, so I should have kept talking, and I mm-hmm. shut it down, and I was kicking myself later. Of course, I could always go back and say something and just, um, you know, clip it on there at the end. I've got some other mm-hmm. pod- podcasts like that, too, that I should do something like that. But um, I had to resort to the radical theory, um, and you don't actually have to do this. This is not the best theory. Well, just just put it out there. The best theory is it's all controlled. Because, see, as a deep conspiracist, I believe that there's more control out there than, than conspiracy theorists are willing to acknowledge. So in that model, you can have you know completely controlled environments over and over again, something like that, and they, they appear not to be. Well, yeah, because they're designed to be, okay? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, now if somebody else goes down there and gets completely different results... It's never publicized. They just totally ignore it. You never hear anything because, you, you know, you can't get – now, somebody could do something like that today. They could get on the Internet and say, hey, we got a totally different result. This is fake. But see, back mm-hmm. then, they, they, all they had was newspapers or books. Right. Yeah. And apparently, according to what we're being told, there's no conflict. So they had to control everything. I actually think that's the most likely thing now. For some reason, I wasn't thinking that way, but the conspiracy theory I had to come up with, which I didn't feel comfortable with, was um, <clears throat> the subterraneans or somebody very lofty was using some kind of technology to affect it from a distance and give false results. Now, what's at, at first, that appears to be laughable, okay? But the problem is they can't. they are capable of doing that. You actually can't prove that wrong. It would, yeah. I, would, I would say it's very unlikely, but they could still do it. And it makes me uncomfortable that you can't actually prove that. Just prove that. That, that. that may be uncomfortable. It also may be uncomfortable that I had to resort to a theory that extreme to try to explain it away. So therefore, I go, I go okay, I'm, I'm going to go with this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, what we've got people doing is getting on their knees and praying and stuff like that and asking a simple yes-no question. Why does this freak Christians out? Because they don't believe. They've been psyoped. God's not going to talk about that. No, you've been psyoped into believing that he wouldn't. Have you tried? How do you know that God would not say yes or no? They don't know this. They just assume that. You see that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got people in the background trying to figure out um, from the Holy Spirit what the truth is, because we're basically forced to. Don't you think we're, we're forced to? You have to go by revelation? Yeah. At this point? Yep. I mean, this is like an ongoing project with you, and it's like banging your head against the wall. 
It's no, I mean, I've been, I've been looking into this. Yeah, I've been looking into this one issue for like two years now, at least. Shows you how difficult it is. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think I've gotten any closer to the truth than when I first started. I think I might have. I'm, I maybe I've gotten closer to figuring out what can't be the truth. But I think. Yeah. yeah. I think you're just getting frustrated. I don't know. It's just I don't. I don't even think. I don't even think you can know. I mean, they've they've just they've buried it so well. Like I thought I had things figured out until we ran into that concave stuff, and then it just threw a wrench into everything. Because mm-hmm. I, I I still don't understand why these experiments would be so suppressed. It doesn't make any sense. Well, this is actually um, making progress to know that you can't know. You see, other people have not got to that point. They think they can mm-hmm. know. You you can't yeah. you can't know. I know. I've already said this before, this podcast, so this is nothing new. You're mm-hmm. going to have to rely on revelation. There are yep. indicators, and all things are not equal. You know what I mean, I mean, the first thing you should reject is a spherical Earth. That, that's an absurdity. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I would think so, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. talking about the Hollywood spherical Earth that they show us over and over again. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's an absurdity. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> because no scientists believe it in Western uh, civilization, mm-hmm. that's my understanding. They don't believe it's a perfect sphere. I mean, why can't they just, um, you know, give it a little bit wider girth in the uh, in the middle? Why can't they do that? Because it doesn't look um, photogenic enough. I mean, you, you got to come up with some kind of reason. That nobody's even thinking. They're not even thinking. You know something, and we, we kind of clarified this last night. People don't even think about cosmology. Would you agree with me on that? They don't even think about it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I they agree. Don't, they don't ponder it. They think about things like outer space. Because, you know, we've got this all figured out. Um, but it's not figured out. If the Earth is not a perfect sphere, then they're lying to you about the shape of continents. Yep. It's all lies. Russia is a lie. Greenland, Canada is a lie. Lies, lies, lies. They're all too big. Does anybody talk about that? Very few people on this planet <laughs> talk about that kind of stuff. That shows you that people are not thinking on this planet. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. think here. We don't. We don't think around here. We just believe what we're told. We just. We amuse ourselves every day with trivialities. We already know the common man doesn't do significant research down through the the ages. It just doesn't. There's only a few people that think deeply at any given time. This is true. So, it's business as usual. Mm-hmm. And these are the mockers that, that mock the um, the people that question reality. They think we're the fools. Yeah. You know, because we don't believe what we're told. Well, that's what happens in a cultic system. That, that shows you that you're in, you're in a giant cult. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they don't encourage free thinking. Mm-hmm. They don't like, uh, hey, yeah, that that's really good. That's great. You know, sometimes people will will tell you, oh, that's great. You're thinking about that kind of stuff. But they don't they don't really mean it, do they? They think you're kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. You're, I hope you have uh, success with your investigations there, Chris, on the con- sky centrism. <laughs> you don't get that. 
if you did. Yeah, I hope I hope I have success too. So I'm with them on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like just I'm just like totally twisted about the whole thing. I mean, it's just like I can't get a resolution on it. It seems like, and it's like, but this curiosity won't go away. So it's like I'm stuck in a hamster wheel. <clears throat> Well, I mean, I've already talked about this on a podcast, but we try to get uh, people together to get what I call group revelation. And uh, fortunately for us, nobody can come out and condemn this with the Bible. This is another thing that we we just don't talk about. And uh, I think that's how we're going to determine what the truth is. So we haven't actually had an authoritative session yet. It's still pending, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd want to run double checks on it because um, that's why we want to have as many people there as possible. It's hard to get people together. We're just throwing out a yes/no question. You see, now if if we had five people there, these are people that actually can hear from God. They're actually hearing something. Now, see, if you <clears throat> if you look at Matthew seventeen eleven, you can draw a lot of things out of that. And one of the things is, is that the, the truth is going to come out eventually. You see that? Mm-hmm. Now, how does the truth come out? Well, God puts the truth out there. He's involved with everything. So now we know that God is going to reveal the true cosmology. So God is willing to reveal these things, after all. The problem with these people, they don't realize that their present cosmology is false. That would be helpful if you would understand that. You see, because they don't believe that, that there's a need to reveal a, a better cosmology. They're just satisfied with what they have. Yeah. Well, this whole thing is a massive hoax, you see. So once you figure that out, you're going, hold it here. How are we going to get the truth? You can't use the Bible to prove that you shouldn't do this. As I said before, the Bible actually encourages if you if I mean, it does, if there's no specific verse that I can appeal to where it says you know it's actually encouraging you, but it, it never there's never anything to discourage you. So therefore, you could conclude that it is it does encourage you. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, we're talking about like getting putting out the fleece or something like that. People would be mm-hmm. surprised about how many examples of that there is in the Bible. Uh, Abraham's servant used a version of that when he saw it, a wife. Uh, for Isaac, I call it external revelation. It's some kind of a modern term I coined because it kind of communicates. If you say augury, like, um, and some of this is wouldn't fall into classification of augury anyway, but nobody knows what you're talking about. You know what I mean? That's a scholarly mm-hmm. term. What's that? So, if I say external revelation, they go, oh, he must be talking about. Revelation outside the Bible. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it you should be getting some kind of revelation from God on what house to buy and what wife to marry. It's totally yeah. absurd to say, Oh, you can't have revelation outside the Bible. That's extra biblical revelation. And even if you believe that, you, you can't use the Bible to prove that that's condemned anywhere in Scripture. It's complete nonsense. And we've been psyop <clears throat> into believing that because they don't want people seeking 
Mm-mm. this kind of revelation. Would you agree with me on that? Yep, yep. Been, that's why I say we've been psyoped, you see. Mm-hmm. Not only are Christians um, overly worried about things that could be labeled as the occult, they're not actually the occult. Occult's not a very good word because it's too general. Well, yeah. Say like New Age, you know what I mean? Well, that's general mm-hmm. too. <laughs> that's a problem. It's just these general terms. Yep. But they're also concerned about extra biblical revelation. You see that? Mm-hmm. That makes them nervous. Uh oh. But there's the Bible gives you allowance to do these kind of things. And I'll be the first to tell you that I personally think just you know take well, I mean I, I I don't even see what the point of praying would be if there was no extra biblical revelation. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Well, actually, I mean, everybody is getting. Why would you? Why would you even pray in the first place if the Bible People not even condemned? Right. Every yeah. all, all Christians are getting extra biblical revelation. Oh yeah. It, you know, but you know what it's like. It's like um, <clears throat> all Christians understand that the, uh, the, the the moon influences the tides. So therefore, they they they're, they're believing this cosmic energy is affecting the Earth. Okay, but but there's this disconnect in their brain. Do they go around and talk about lunar energy? No, well, no. supposedly it's influenced by it. I don't know for sure. I know. <clears throat> yeah. See, I'm questioning those things. Okay. Yeah. I am uh, confident that the moon affects a woman's menstrual cycle. You don't have a problem with that, do you? <clears throat> oh, no, no. See, there's yeah, not no, a possibility that. that it's actually the sun that affects the tides. Have you looked into this at all? Uh, How do we know it's the moon? No, we don't. Well, there's a there's a good reason why it would be the moon. It's because uh, the, the, you, you're talking about the element of water, and you understand all well, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yep. That, that identifies feminine, the moon. Feminine lun- lunar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... And you also see the effect uh, that it has on... Uh, th- there are other more obscure things that we don't talk about around here. Well, women, and they're they're more watery. Yeah. Well, they're more... Yeah. They have w- higher water content. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But it also affects people, like, on a on a full moon. It affects their mental mm-hmm. state. Now that, that's the moon, right? I mean, you don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, even the menstrual cycles could be compared to the tides. Uh-huh. You know? So, I mean, yeah. a Christian, I mean, if you drop that information in their lap, they won't have a problem with that. But then if you start to apply it on a practical level, then they start to get spooked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that's this embedded programming that we talk about. Yeah. You know? Yep. There's this disconnect in their brain. Because, they, see, they already believe in these things. So what I'm trying to yeah. say is that Christians already believe in extra-biblical revelation. You see, the Bible says that all... Knowledge and wisdom is hidden in Christ Jesus, right? So everything is hidden. So that means that everything, whether it's great or small, it has to be unveiled by God. Well, what is that telling you? You've got all kinds of revelation all around you all the time. Every time God reveals something to you, well, guess what? I already said it, didn't I? He revealed something. See, Christians actually talk that. Well, God showed me. But yeah, you don't understand. Well, according to what your belief system, hold it now. That's an extra biblical revelation because it's—is it in the Bible somewhere? Can you show me in the yeah. Bible where you, you? know But they'll say, "Well, God showed me uh, yesterday." Oh, really? Is that in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? 
Well, of course it's not in the Bible. It had to do with my station wagon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an extra-biblical revelation. I thought you didn't believe in that kind of thing. And then you'll see a puzzled look on their face. Do you know why? Because now they're thinking for the first time. Yep. And then they'll say, well, I never thought about that. Isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the problem, see? See, the problem is people are too lazy to think, right, Chris? Yeah. Too lazy. They don't think. They don't want to think. And they've been programmed not to think. They've been programmed to get an education, acquire a job, and then kick back and and entertain yourself for the rest of your life and go into a coffin. Now, is that true or is that not true? Yeah, it's true. Does the government encourage people? Now, see, I'm not talking about... The government will talk about, well, you need to further your education so you can get a better job. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about further your education so you become more intelligent. Do you ever hear the government ever saying like that? Ever? <laughs> no. <laughs> One time. No, that's funny. What does that tell you? They yep. don't want people to get smarter. No. Now, when there's never any positive reinforcement, in because uh, people are naturally lazy and slothful because of this, Adamic nature that we acquired. That's one of the, the qualities, the negative qualities of that nature. Okay? So in this culture, if you never see any encouragement, most people will just go with the flow and just seek uh, to be mildly amused from day to day. Isn't that what's happening? Yeah. Well, there you go. If you step out from that system and you start to inquire about things, and this tells you that you're in a cultic system, then are you go, are you, do you think that people will encourage you in your endeavors? Or do you think they'll think that you're strange or question you? Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to ask me why I'm doing it? Can I just do it because I want to? Yep. Because they, what, what's your, what are you trying to do, Chris? Why do you keep thinking about these things? Why don't you just go back to the television set like everybody else? Why do you yeah. keep... Because you're, you're causing problems, Chris, in a cultic system. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. You're stirring the waters. It's, it's not designed for this. You know what it's like? It's like asking questions in a college classroom. Mm-hmm. Did you know that that will cause problems? Now, they'll put up yep. with you at first. And you'll get the knowing smile. Now, you're like, why did you ask that question? They won't actually say that. You know what I mean? But that the whole classroom will turn around and look at you. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Yep. Why are you asking these questions? And the professor, he will, he'll put on a good act because he, he, he needs to. So initially, he'll act like nothing's wrong. And if you do that uh, too much, then the problems start to arise. Now you're a troublemaker, and he will not have that persona anymore. He'll start to have an aggravated look on his face because he's trying to influence you not to do that. You're causing trouble. And uh, and the classroom will turn around and stare right at you. All the program slaves, they'll have pressure on you. Stop asking these questions. And only a few people, the true renegades, and I actually am not one of them. I would not do that. And I, I wouldn't keep going. I would actually conform because I'd go, this is a complete waste of time and nothing's going to be accomplished. I'm going to just get punished. But only a true renegade would keep going. Yeah. I think you're crazy if you keep going because you just you're bucking the system and um you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to so you're not going to accomplish anything. Some people don't get it. You can't do what you want in a cultic system. Nope. 
you got to know when to shut it down. Because mm-hmm. you're just hurting yourself. Are things yeah. going to improve at your end if you keep, you know, hammering away? No. You're also going to start losing friends. People will start gossiping about you. He's weird. They don't start shunning you. Because mm-hmm. that's what they do in a cultic system. They shun you. Mm-hmm. Now, they manufactured the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society from the ground up. And they do the same thing in the cult of society as they do in that cult. If you go against the system and appear strange, then people will shun you. Your own family members. Now, this has happened to me. I've never talked about it before, but it's happened to me. <clears throat> so this is why I'm isolated. People go, can't his family members help him? What do you think of uh, these experiments that supposedly show that light is curving up? This one uh, by this engineer, Wilhelm Martin. You know about that that I have a tendency to go by revelation. So what I'd like to do is create a simple... I already have this written down. Create a simple question. Does light ever bend? Yes Mm -hmm. or no? And now, if you got five people there, and they all... Oh, we we don't need to say that. I mean, we already know it bends. That's just refraction, you know, and it's going from different mediums. We need to ask, does it curve up? Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we need to be as specific as possible, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you've got any, um, if you come up with any questions, let me know. Write them down. I'd say I, as soon as I have a question, I write it down. Every single question gets written down. Most of them mm-hmm. never get answered because there's too many of them. So I just go with the most important ones. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get people together. See, yeah, see, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't trust um, it's being, you know, reliable. I can go out and making a podcast and talking about, oh, here's my revelation, you know, from one person. But see, now, if you've got five people, see, I actually said this on a podcast. I don't know if you listened to it or not, but I talked about how um, Cassandra was on there for one night with us. I don't remember it with any other night. And because of the... Um, the alphabetical order of the name, she she went first. And we had the women going yeah. first. And so she went before Connie, because Cassandra comes before Connie. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, I mean, you were there. You were kind of in the background. Right? Weren't, weren't you I, don't think, I don't think I was there. I know which call you're okay. talking about, though. She got the same answers as everybody else, but she went first. Yeah. I heard that, yeah. How do you, how do you explain that? Because I think we had five people there. See, somebody mm-hmm. has to explain that. Now, you know how Marcus Allen would explain that? How would They'd he say the whole thing was staged. Yeah, and I'm a liar. Yeah. And I, and I understand that because, you see, if it's not some kind of, um, you know, phenomena that comes from the, the another realm or some higher being or something. I mean, if you don't believe in that kind of thing, then you're basically forced to say, no, this is this is a, this is a pack of lies. I don't believe it. Because if it's true, then I have to rearrange my belief system. You see that? Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to do that. So you're a liar. And there you go. I understand that. See, that is actually logical, don't you think? Unless you're going to change your belief system. You've got to go with that. So, 
I don't hold that against people, you know, because um, as a cosmic dualist, I believe that we're, you know, we didn't earn our state here. It was just given to us. And so we have these roles that we're playing out. And uh, you don't want to start looking down your nose at other people because you didn't do anything ultimately to um, acquire your present state. Yeah, I just want to go over this experiment. Okay. This Wilhelm Martin experiment. Yeah. I'm on uh, Wild Heretics' over, site. Over uh, in much detail as you want. Yeah. I'm just going to read a little little summary of it. It's This is on Wild Heretics' site. Do you have site. more information that you want to share besides that? Uh, No, not right now. Okay. I just want to... I'm going to, I'm going to change my medallion. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it, yeah, it just says... This was the experiment. It says... Number one, the control. It says two measuring poles were placed 1,000 meters from each other. The dumpy level was placed in the middle of these two poles at the 500-meter distance. The built-in plumb line, or spirit level, was then used to make sure the device was absolutely level to within one arc second, which is an accuracy of 0.5 centimeters to one kilometer. Wilhelm then looked through the telescope, and with the crosshairs marked the zero mark on the measuring pole. He then turned the dumpy level around 180 degrees and did the same for the other pole. These marks are now used as a control for the future measurements. And then it says, Wilhelm then positioned the dumpy level four meters from the left measuring pole and adjusted the height of the theodolite so that it was level with the zero mark made previously when the dumpy level was located in the middle of the two poles. The dumpy level was then turned around 180 degrees and the crosshairs on the theodolite were used to find its position on the right measuring pole 996 meters away. This was 12 to 14 centimeters higher than the zero mark in the control. Okay. Did you understand that experiment? No. You have to explain it to me. Okay, well, basically, this guy, this engineer named Wilhelm Martin, and this experiment has been totally suppressed, by the way, so that's why I'm trying to analyze it. But anyway, this guy, he set up these two horizontal poles, and they were 1,000 meters from each other. And he put this device called a theodolite in the very middle of the two, so it would have been 500 meters away from both of them, you know. And the theodolite's basically like a leveling device that has like a scope that you look through. Uh-huh. It's, it's basically got like a scope, and it's got a... a one of those spirit levels in it. It's got like a built-in, uh, what is it? Let me see. Yeah, it's, it's an optical leveling device with a built-in plumb level used for surveying and in the building trade. It's basically, you know, it's got a built-in level and it's got a scope on it. So you, you it basically creates like a level airline, you know. Did he create this device? <laughs> no, no. Okay. No, he was a, he's an engineer, though. So... Okay. But he placed that in between the two poles, and then he he looked through it for each of them. So then he marked, you know, that point which which the crosshairs were on each pole. He marked it, and that was that was used as the control, you know. So the the mark was the same when 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 the level when the theodolite was in between both of them, you know, at equal distance. See what I mean? When he looked through the crosshairs he was looking at the same mark on each pole when it was in the direct middle of the two. Mm-hmm. 
But then he moved he moved it after that he moved it to within four meters of one of the poles, so really, really close to it. And then he he adjusted the height of it so it was level with the that zero mark that he made previously when it was when it was in the middle of the two. And then he turned it one eighty and then looked through the crosshairs at the you know, the other pole that would now be nine hundred and ninety six meters away. And he found that the zero mark was 12 to 14 centimeters higher than it was when he had the theodolite placed in the direct middle of both of them. So it basically showed that light is curving up, supposedly, and it actually, I mean, it'd be at a pretty rapid, rapid pace, it seems like. Because, I mean, that was only, what, 996 kilometers away, and it was 12 to 14 centimeters higher. So I, the reason that's kind of, I don't know, kind of uh, out there is because that's what concavers will use that as evidence for the Earth curving up at a rapid pace too because they say that, you know, light light travels parallel to the ground. Well, if, if light is curving up that rapidly, then the Earth should be curving up too because light's just staying parallel okay. to the ground, you know. Yes. Stephen Christ promoting this. Yeah, yeah. All all the concavers are promoting that. All of them. They say that light's just you know, it's curving around on the inside of the Earth, like that. But it's, so it's always staying it's always staying parallel to the ground because the ground's curving up too. Anybody else talking about this experiment besides this one guy? I mean, is anybody else conducting it with this device? Well, I, I looked in the, on YouTube. There's some videos. You yeah, have that one Polish guy. Remember him? Mm-hmm. He did that whole series on sky centrism. What happened to him? Uh, well, he did. He did some videos where he looked. He basically had a camera and he put it on a tripod so it was level. And you know, he, he didn't move it at all. And he he looked he he looked through it. And he made it so you know. The crosshairs or the the middle of it was focused on some object in the background, you know, in the middle of the the middle of his view. And then when he he zoomed in on it, he didn't move the camera at all. He just zoomed in on whatever he was focused on before, you know, whatever was in the middle in the background, some some object, whatever it was. But he'd zoom in on it, and he found that basically the his crosshairs would actually basically that middle, that middle, it's hard to explain, but like it actually raised when he zoomed in on it, like the vertical position of it raised. It's hard to explain unless you, unless you see the video, but it kind of showed that something's going on with light. It seems like light's curving. Like in this experiment that this Wilhelm guy conducted, Well, I, I told you before, uh, I think before we push the record button, um, I start with the revelation. And then, to me, it makes sense to get, like, say you had five people in there, okay? Mm-hmm. This makes sense to me. And they all, you ask these carefully constructed questions. And then you uh, you get an answer. And then you go to the scientific experiment with a certain um, expectation or premise already. And I think it helps mm-hmm. you to interpret the scientific experiment. Yeah. Because, see, 
I mean, you're looking into all this stuff, but see, you're saying that why well, I'm confused. So that's actually validating my method. It appears you can't yeah, no, really I, I prove anything, I even with science. Yeah, no, no, uh, you can't. Still uncertain. There's yeah. too many unknowns. Too many. Well, too many things conflict. For one. <laughs> Now, the reason I, I wanted to bring up that experiment is just because the concave people who advocate this, this sky centrism, they'll say that uh, the horizon is actually created because the earth is curving up, but light curves up more than the earth, and that's why you can never see the other side of the earth, and that's actually what creates the horizon. But the problem is, is that, as I kind of explained before, the horizon is just a perspective thing. And if you, if, you, if you look, like, if you look at the ocean, you look at the horizon, like the ocean angles up towards the horizon line, but the sky angles down, too. Like, you'll see clouds, clouds that would be on the same, they'd be on the same, uh, they'd be at the same height. They would appear to decline you know, when they when they get closer to the horizon line. It's the same thing when you look down a long tunnel. You know, the ceiling appears to get lower, you know, at the end than it is in the foreground. It's just a perspective thing. So if my thing is if, if light is curving up and that's actually what's creating this horizon, horizon line, then why, why would the sky be appearing to angle down too? That doesn't make any sense. So it, to me, it, it makes it seem... Are you there, Chris? Um, he got knocked off. He, he should be back. Um, I did a five-hour podcast last night with Brian Staley and Justin Cook. That's probably one of the better things we've ever done. And um, been a little frustrated trying to get people to respond to the cloud behind the moon thing. I think. I don't think people take that seriously. So um, hopefully that will change because he's going to upload the podcast on his show, I think. And then um, it's a good chance it will show up on the Fakeologist website too. And uh, once Justin and uh, Brian see the cloud behind the moon, they're going to talk about it. And... um, People will listen, and then I think we'll kind of get things going around here. <clears throat> We're being stalemated. I think it's because it's winter, cold out, and um, but the opportunity is, is available right now to go out and see it. You've got a good a good moon out there in the sky. So anyway, he led me to this really fascinating website. Chris did about these ancient maps. And sure enough, there are maps out there that represent a relatively shallow, concave Earth, the exact opposite convex, you know, a spherical Earth, which is what people believe in. I'm messaging him on uh, Facebook here. 
What happened, Chris? Oh, okay. He wants the number again. Okay, he'll be back. But there's this great website out there on uh, ancient and medieval maps, which is absolutely fascinating, because I, I didn't know this kind of website was out there. And uh, we've been talking about that. Hello? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. I'm yeah, here. sorry about that. I don't know what happened. I got disconnected yeah. somehow. I was struggling to, to fill up the dead air there. <laughs> it's pretty bad <laughs> when you have to talk about last night's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> did you, By the way, so where, um, did it, where did it cut off? Did you did you hear what I said or what? Actually, I'm not sure. I mean, it about sounded that. natural when you left. I mean, it didn't sound like you were in mid-sentence. I think you actually put a period somewhere and then you went out. Oh, but yeah. So you you heard all that? You got yeah. it. By the way, I, just, I was, the record. I mean, you, you know, I was. Uh, well, I just woke up. I I did get out of bed, but. Um, mm-hmm. That that can be a good thing. That that way we'll let you talk instead of Dave dominating everything. Yeah, I know. I was all I was all I was saying basically with with that experiment of. A light apparently curving was uh, these these concave sky centric people. They'll use that as evidence that you know they'll say that uh, the Earth is curving and light curves more than the curvature of the Earth, and that's what creates the horizon line. And that's why you can't see any you can't see it actually curving, or you can't see the other side of the Earth because light's curving up more than the curvature of the Earth. So they use that as evidence of that, but what I, I analyzed that, and what I was saying is uh, the horizon is just... trying to use that just to prove spherical curvature, which is a ball-faced lie. Yeah. I, I, see that hard. It's a lie. Well, yeah, I mean, but, uh, but what I was saying is that the flat Earth people, they already explain the horizon and how it's made. The scientific makes... conclusions are wrong, what these guys are saying, because the, 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 the curvature is too radical. If you're going to hold, yeah, but, if you're going to be a sky centric, uh, don't hold to a spherical. Go with an oblate or something, so so you tone down the curvature. Mm-hmm. So their scientific experiments are are trying to validate their spherical sky centric model, and it's just flat out false. Mm-hmm. Those are the basic. That that's why I never really paid a whole lot of attention to this stuff because I already know it's false. It can't be used to prove that radical of a curvature. It just it just isn't. It's not a sphere. Mm-hmm. Cuz you got to remember with this the, the sky centric model. I mean, they never they never change anything. They, they have a, a perfect sphere and you're simply living inside of it instead of outside of it, right? Yeah. They don't change anything. Well, I mean, it's, it's the oblate spheroid that they I mean, it's it's using the same. They won't even talk me- about an oblate spheroid. Well, yeah, yeah, it's the same. It's because it's, it's the same measurement, so it's slightly flattened at the poles. It's got the it's got the bulge. But they don't present it that Does way, that, though. I mean, Cyrus T didn't do that, and Stephen Christ is. Yeah, but I mean, they're using the same math that NASA puts out for the for the convex Earth, though, and and the math, it's not a perfect sphere based on the measurements. It's an oblate okay, spheroid. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on with all that. I mean, supposedly, 
the circumference of the Earth was it's actually in the Great Pyramid. Have you ever heard about this? Uh, no. I don't trust it. I think it's false. Now, could it be possible that they actually tell you the truth about something like that? Knowing that you don't have a clue about the true structure of the Earth and they just kind of throw out something that's actually true? Mm-hmm. An example of that, and this is just my opinion, I cannot prove anything here. Okay, This is my own personal opinion, but I'm totally convinced, for reasons that I won't go into right now, that the Shroud of Turin is genuine. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think about the, this whole industry out there, because uh, that's what it was, an industry of Christian relics? Don't you think that's totally fake? Yeah. You know, we're talking about you know, Constantine's mother and all that stuff. I mean, <laughs> what a joke. Now, I actually believe that Christians were not naive enough to believe that kind of garbage back then. Because, see, we're supposed to believe that. And it, they may have not, this may have not even happened <coughs> later, that this is the way it was back then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not assuming that even that is true. But see, we know that that is all fake. Okay? But I'm saying that the Shroud of Turin is genuine. And the reason that, that they can do that is because our whole chronology is wrong because the dating puts it to, what, the 11th century. Well, we think that they added a thousand years, so it works perfect. You see, so they could. I'm just saying, if that was true, they could set the truth right in front of your feet, and you couldn't process it. Process it. So there's no risk at their end. You see that? Yeah. And I think they're doing the same thing with with this cosmology stuff. Mhm. That's what I think is going on. Mhm. I can just kind of uh, sniff it out, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't. I, don't, I believe that something wrong is, is wrong with the science. The bendy light. Well, that's what that. I was trying to say. Is they're using a, they're using the horizon as evidence of a concave, enclosed Earth, but the horizon is clearly created by perspective. It just Another has thing to do with Chris, with with, uh, with propaganda. Chris is pay attention to what they always try to get you to pay attention to. Yeah. What do they keep banging the drum about? Now, either they're, they're covering something up, or they're trying to pay, get you to pay attention to this propaganda so you don't focus on something else. And also, pay attention to things that they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Notice how people don't talk about a, um, less curvature, uh, slight curvature models. They either go with extreme curvature or no curvature on flat earth. You mm-hmm. see that? I mean, we, mm-hmm. I mentioned this earlier. That should be a red flag. And most people go with the models that are set in their lap. They don't create their own. You know what I'm saying? You'll see that. Cause you'll see consistent discussion of what they set out before you. And so you'll see all these people that are thinking like Stephen Christ, and you'll see all these people that are thinking like the wild heretic. But they don't tweak it significantly and create their own model. Now, if you if you spend enough time on that search engine at the Flat Earth Society and put in like um, like I found a guy that was talking about uh, a near flat Earth, like one guy. You know what I mean? I, yeah. 
you know, when there's one person like that, statistically there should be more than one person. So I'm wondering if he was actually an agent, and he's just putting mm-hmm. that out there to see how people react to it. Mm-hmm. It's statistically improbable there should be one. There should be, it's more likely there should be two, three, four, five, you see. So why is there one, unless it's artificial? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Now, he could be legitimate, I don't know. But they're just, they're not tweaking these things enough. you got to make adjustments. And it's true that people just ponder whatever they set in your lap. So, see, I look at sky centrism as tier two propaganda. If you're going to reject, you know, the spherical Earth, I think flat Earth is tier two. I think sky centrism is tier three. <laughs> well, you could look at it that way. I don't talk about tier three propaganda, but there is because I've talked about these different veils that you have to penetrate. Yeah. You could just simplify it and call it all tier two propaganda, mm-hmm. or you could start going, yeah, this is tier three, tier four, you know. People would have different opinions. But, yeah, I can understand that. That uh, Because if you look back um, historically, I mean, people have not even been considering a concave model. Uh, it appears since Cyrus T, since his cult dissolved. Or, or Ptolemy. It's until uh, the Stephen Christ guy came along. Yeah. Now, that's another thing. This is telling me, it's indicating me that the Elijah figure is about to appear relatively soon. Mm-hmm. See why I would think that way? Mm-hmm. Now, there's there's no need to do this back in the 50s. Why bother? Because you'll just bring attention. You, get, you could potentially get people thinking, and um, they might discover something. So there's no need. But when he's about to appear, the need becomes greater to create confusion. Because when you create confusion, there's always the risk. Remember I said about people pondering things that are set in their lap? Well, if it, what if it's not set in their lap? You've noticed it. Well, we already know. We can look back at the 20th century, and people don't ponder the concave model. They don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. So if you create uh, propaganda... Uh, about a false concave model called skycentrism, you run the risk of somebody figuring it out because now they're thinking about it. Because before, there was just silence. So they had to do it on their own. You could actually stimulate somebody to discover the truth. You know, perhaps just by chance. We don't really believe in that. Cause, you know, but that's what people would call it. So... So why do that? Well, there is no reason. There's no motivation. So that's what they did. They didn't They didn't do anything in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. But when did this start stuff come along? I mean, was this a couple, two, three years ago? Yeah, pretty much. So, so what does that tell you? It tells you that they're prepping people for mm-hmm. what's coming. This is the way I interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. They're prepping people. Now, they, they, ask yourself this question. Were they prepping people in the 1950s? No. No. So why are they doing it now? Because mm-hmm. they think something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, our culture right now is um, it's deteriorating, and it's it deteriorating at an accelerated pace. Things are devolving. 
and our inner cities are starting to collapse, this is not going to just carry on for several more decades. Something's going to come to some kind of conclusion here. Because you've got people that are apathetic because they've been around, you know, well, they were saying the rapture's going to happen way back in the 1970s. You know, and it didn't happen. Well, every single day that's gone by was one day closer to these events happening. There's no reason to get apathetic about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yet people will get apathetic anyway. And that's the purpose of all this propaganda and all this, you know, these doomsayers and the fear mongers is they put this propaganda out there knowing that there's not going to be any, people are looking for a big 9-11 event. Nothing's going to happen. So if they can whip people up to the possibility it might happen this week on Godlike Productions, that will create apathy. And you'll see people like pulling back and just kicking back, ah, oh, you know, nothing's You'll see this mentality, like on a fakeologist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean they will yeah. point this out. They'll say, and other people too, like non-Christians, will say Christians have been predicting, you know, the Antichrist, and they have. <laughs> Unfortunately, mm-hmm. every single generation has talked about this is the Antichrist, and everything is imminent down through the centuries. <clears throat> it's just the nature of man, you know. It's, yeah. That's the way, that's the way it's going to be. But does that mean that nothing's going to happen? No. Does that justify apathy? No. But people will get apathetic anyway. It's human nature. You don't, you don't have to do with it. It's sloth. People are looking yeah. for a reason to kick back. And just, I just want to enjoy life. You know what I mean? I don't want to think about this negative. It's negative, Dave. And you're a negative yep. person. You talk about it too mm-hmm. much. And yeah. that's why I believe, I think a lot of people listen to us and then kind of move along. They get intrigued for a while. I don't think we have a significant... We get a lot of downloads. It's much or more than the shows that I listen to. I seriously question if people stick with us. Because I've kind of seen that, um, you know, the people on Facebook. Because it's like, um, they start to to look at the... It's all different. How does this help me? How does this make me happy? That kind of thing, you know? You know, the number one thing that people are concerned about on a day-to-day basis is being happy. Did you know that? Yeah. I want to be happy. How does this make me happy? They start to realize, you know something, this is not making me happy. The only way it can make you happy is if you have a love for truth, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether the um, the information is is makes you happy or it doesn't. It's if it's the truth, then it's a gracious gift from God. And it should be valued for that reason alone. But you know people don't think that way. And you know, and I've asked you before about this, that people are not actively seeking the truth. They're not laboring to seek the truth. Very few people are doing this. And see, this is what you've been doing with cosmology. Yeah. Right? Seeking, mm-hmm. seeking. And now you've noticed, do you see other people doing this? No. no. Name one person. I mean, you probably got frustrated with me. Dave, can't you get more involved with this stuff? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. take the lazy route. I told you. I go, I'm lazy. I'd better just go with the revelation. And then I'll go, okay. Oh, I honestly you... think I'm probably like the only one who's like You're looked the only into one. this. You're yeah. Looked into, <laughs> looked into like as many angles like as extensively. I think, I think I'm the only point, one. Yeah. 
people don't you can't get them. Now we're also seeing now that we're getting frustrated trying to get just people to just get out there and look up in the sky at the moon. Mhm. Yeah. You can't get yeah. them to do that either. Mhm. Now if they if they do it, they'll be surprised because it's not that hard. But you can't you got to work with them. You got to remind them. And that's what I did with people, and that's why they saw it. Sometimes it was easy. Rachel saw it right on talk show one night. Unfortunately, we, were, we weren't recording it. But there was like, you know, five, six people there. She just looked up at the sky, hey, you know, cloud behind the moon. <laughs> I took my mom out, and um, she saw it twice. The first time I took her out, and I took my uh, roommate out here. Uh, we peeked outside. It wasn't good conditions. Went out the second time, bam. Now, how hard how hard is that? Yeah. You can't get... We're trying to get people off the couch. You know? Mm-hmm. And so you are going to have a problem because um, if you ever try to get a family member to look up at the sky at a chemtrail... Actually, let's say they're in the house. Let's say they're watching TV or just in the house somewhere. They're not outside. Just They could be doing anything in the house. And you want to take them outside and look up at the sky. Now, you've already looked outside, and you know there's a chemtrail. You already know it's there. Do you realize that that is actually a difficult thing to do? It sounds simple, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But if that's hard, it's no wonder that you know, you're going to have problems trying to get people. Let's say that you're, you know, you're actually in a home, and you're trying to get a family member to go outside and see a cloud behind the moon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if that's a problem, then on the third level is trying to get people to do it, you know, not interacting with them personally. You see that? Mm-hmm. People just get distracted, they just get forget. Well, I think what they're doing is that, well, if this is true, then other people will see it, and I'll just kind of wait around, and then I'll look if I start hearing other people see it. Maybe. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think they get to that point. I think they just, um, I think they just forget about it, Chris. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It shows you. See, this is showing. This is like a social engineering engineering experiment. It's showing us how distracted people are. Because I think I don't. I'm not saying that people that listen to this podcast think that you know that Dave's lying or Dave's a fool or even disagree. They just kind of go temporarily. They go, "Wow," but for some reason, they're not actually motivated enough to actually go out and see it themselves. They just can't concentrate. And we've talked about that before, the importance of distraction in social engineering. You can see that people are incredibly distracted. They can't concentrate on hardly anything unless they really need to um, to make money <laughs> or have security mm-hmm. or chase a woman or have immediate pleasure. Make yourself feel good like right away. Oh, I can concentrate mm-hmm. on that. I, I can do that. Okay. Any kind of anything you know, philosophical. Anything that has a little, little depth to it. Anything uh, on the outer edge of reality. We, we can't do that. I'm going to have to concentrate and focus. Too. They can't focus, Chris. You see that? Mm-hmm. Is this your experience? Yeah. If you drop something profound in somebody's lap. Um. You, know, you kind of monitor them and go, now, how's this guy going to respond? Because he looked like he was embracing this. 
and you come back and you and you're disappointed, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Well, hold it here. I mean, you didn't disagree with me. I mean, you you acted like this is true, but you just went off like nothing happened. Now there have been some people that have a few people that have seen the cloud behind the moon and acknowledged it, and then went off as like, oh, okay, whatever, like nothing happened. They didn't realize the consequences because they were just too distracted, so they didn't ponder it at all. Didn't ponder it. They're too distracted. You know, you ask yourself the basic question, what does this mean? Because you're going to have to change some things. They didn't do that. See, they were too distracted. So you have to to help them. You have to do it for them. And this is actually ongoing in the background. We're talking about people who they've seen it, but you have to help them. Okay, you got to understand now. You can't be a heliocentrist anymore. The earth is big. The sun is small. The the earth can't go around the sun. It's too small. The earth is too big. Do you understand? Come back a month later, they're still a heliocentrist. See that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not thinking. They don't want to think. <laughs> They've never developed the habit of thinking in their entire life. So this would be the first time. When they went to school, they just stored information so they could have, here it is, security. Security was the motivation. It, now, it's actually a form of subtle fear. There's societal perf- uh, expectations in the cult of society, even if it wasn't a, a cult, uh, to meet up to certain standards and perform. There's these, a lot of times they're not so subtle pressures. I mean, they can come down from your parents. You know, we're, we're paying all this money for college. You better perform over there. You know. Yeah. You better not be screwing around. Mm-hmm. This is costing us a lot of money. So, yeah, you know. And so, um, you know, there's these motivations to, to do this to basically gain security. But then once you get outside of that, then they just completely shut down. A good example of that, I had a cousin who, it looked like he had, you know, every book that he had ever uh, purchased in college uh, in a bookshelf. Now, most people just get rid of those books, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he looked like he had them all, you know what I mean? And you're going, well, why does he have these there? You know what I mean? But here's the thing. You know how many books he had um, beyond college that I could tell? None. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that the educational, the the education of that person shut down after college. You mm-hmm. see that? Mm-hmm. And once you get your your position in life, you get your security. There's no need to to do that anymore. So you mm-hmm. stop. And that's exactly what people they stop, and they they just go into the entertainment mode for the last rest of their life, and they go into the coffin. And that's exactly what they want you to do. Because that makes you you have what's called the managerial class, and uh, believe it or not, these guys actually work for a living. They have to expend calories each day, uh, <laughs> just like anybody else, mm-hmm. and they want their job to be easier. So they want you to be as an efficient a slave as possible, 
because that will actually make their job easier. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you have a society of philosophers, do you think that they'll have to work more each day? That kind yep. Of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you have a, just a bunch of stupid people um, that uh, don't know how to think straight, just believe whatever they're told, things are going to go real easy on that. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we got. You know, see, I'm trying to show to people this cultic mindset and to show, because the evidence is everywhere, people are not thinking. This is a cult. I know it sounds radical, but the evidence is everywhere. We need to realize this. This is why I keep talking about this. You know why? Nobody else is doing it. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Show me one person out there that's doing it. This is like the Truman Show. Yep. Well, he woke up, but he's nobody else did. He's all alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people think you're strange. They go, well, eh, I don't know about this podcast. You know, it's kind of weird. Nobody else is talking about this. So I think this guy, you know, he's got some things to bring to the table, but I think I'm going to wait for other people to talk about it. You know what I mean? If other people start talking about it, then I think I'll I'll pay more attention. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think they go through that thought process, but it, it looks like that's what they're thinking, you know. And that's the way we're programmed, you know. Like I said before, I mean, you, you, you can take 10,000 pastors, and they will not talk about any of these ideas and concepts that we talk about. So the common mind will say, well, they must be false. But they're not false. I mean, some of this stuff has to be true at the very least, right? <clears throat> and so that tells you the problem is with the 10,000 pastors. You see, the average mind, they can't process that. Well, these are men of God. God is speaking in the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? You're going to have to yeah. make some adjustments there in your perception of pastors. They're products of an institutional system. And four years of a Bible school is not going to get you a whole heck of a lot of anywhere. And a lot of that stuff is just, um, well, they're, they're textbook repeaters. You know, think about the, the Rockefellers. I mean, supposedly, they used to be Rothschilds, and they came over here. But it appears... I think they're front men. I think there's somebody behind the Rockefellers. But it does appear that they came over here to basically run the American educational system through the grant system and stuff like that. You know, the, who creates the textbook? You know, whoever creates yeah. the textbooks, it's just like Obama's speechwriter. Do you realize how stupid Americans are? Because they remember we talked about the moon and the disconnect. Mm-hmm. People have heard that there's a speechwriter. They know that, right? Mm-hmm. It shows you not it shows you not thinking and not critically analyzing anything. Okay, well hold it here. It's the speechwriter that's important. Who's this guy? Or is it a team of people? I mean, let's start asking some questions. Do they ask the questions? No. They um they have the realization somewhere in the back of their mind. Yeah, that there's Obama has a speechwriter, but they don't get any farther. And the reason they don't get any farther, Chris. It's because they're not thinking. This is true, isn't it? See, I'm trying to show they are not thinking. This is the proof right there. They know that that the moon is doing this, but they just stop there, and then they know there's a speechwriter, but they don't ponder that. Because Obama is just um, saying what he's told to say. 
And yet the very next day at the water cool, you'll have all these people discussing, oh, did you hear what Obama said last night? And these are act- people that actually know that he has a speechwriter. They've heard that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they act as if it's not true. See the disconnect? Yeah. That's the cultic mind. Because you have all kinds of Christians and everybody else in society who believe things that are contradictive. You can't believe both of these things. You've got to pick either one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. And you notice that they go through their whole life and they never do this. So that's how you can infallibly prove that they are not thinking. They're not even pondering things. The Illuminati know that, and they give them a belief system that is full of contradictions. It's like, you've got your whole life to figure this out, you idiots. Go to it. But they don't do it. Mm -hmm. Because they're lazy, and they never start thinking. It's like, you know, going to first base. They never even get there. They never even start the process. You've got to take a step, a baby step, put your toe in the water, they don't even get that far. They never even start. See that? Mm-hmm. That's what we got. This is a cult. It's a cult. It doesn't have to have like an institutional structure with buildings. It's slavery of the mind. Christians are not free. There's different types of slavery. And they'll say, I'm free in Christ. And I'm not I'm not debating that because there's there's different categories of freedom. But these people, their minds are enslaved. You know? By propaganda yeah. directed at the enemy and the enemy is Christians. That simple concept they've never figured out. They'll acknowledge that there's lies from the devil, but not you know they'll they'll say, Well the liberals are doing this. You know, we're not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about something beyond all that, obviously. That's just simple talk. So um, did you um, come up with any kind of conclusion? You're reading the uh, book of Enoch, and uh, you don't see sky centrism in the book of Enoch. No, not at all. Remember I talked to you about the ends of the earth? Yeah, I've been reading it. It talks – it actually – says like the ends of, it talks about like the ends of the earth where the heaven meets the earth. So obviously it's talking about, you know, heaven being well first of all, it talks about like absolute it talks about ends of the earth like there's absolute ends of the earth. Like, you know, like the earth is like some four cornered plane, you know, there's an absolute north, an absolute south, an absolute east, and an absolute west. Whereas if you have have any kind of sphere, you're not going to have that, obviously, because all the directions would end up eventually running into each other, you know. East would become west, and then north would become south, eventually. Upside down. Yeah. And they don't have, that's not present at all in Enoch. Like, there's an absolute north, an absolute south, absolute west, absolute east. And it actually talks about it like it gets to the, you know, at the extremities, the heaven actually meets, that's where the heaven meets the earth. Like it actually comes down and meets it, you know? Well, when it comes to um, cosmology, I mean, I'm taking everything literally. You know, we believe there's literal pillars. 
Yeah. And the only thing that I would stumble over is 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 the four corners. And so I actually kind of um you know, spiritualized that or made it figurative. But I don't feel Oh, like Enoch, Enoch anymore. makes it seem like it's literal. I'm going back to the literal uh yeah, I I mean I, I would just say that earth now. or earth is a horizontal plane and it's like a square and it has uh-huh. four absolute corners. And you know, you know Michigan, that model that you know, called the square and stationary earth, you know that cosmology? Yeah, that's what I was going to say because it says in the Bible too, it says, you know, God looked down and saw the circle of the earth or whatever. Well, Midgard could be a circle in the midst of that square, like in, in that map that that guy showed. Well, I've actually gone back to the view now that there's a great uh, a plane uh, on the perimeter that has actually uh, four corners to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would hold that too. And everything is defined within that. Yeah, yeah. And there's some kind of a so. pedestal that supports everything, right? Uh huh. And I'm not sure if you're following me with it, but but within that pedestal, you'll find um, the quote unquote underworld. Mm-hmm. Somehow, yeah, it's a wide pedestal, mm-hmm. and this supports this concave cosmos. <laughs> yeah. So if you switch whether it's, con- con- it's concave or not, I don't, I don't know about that. You still going with concave Earth? Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. I'm gonna. I'm just at a horizontal plane right now. I'm okay. I'm, reser- I'm reserving all curvature until we. Well, what you're doing, you're simplifying things. That that's good. And because you move yeah. from the simple to the complex. Yeah, I, I think you mm-hmm. got into the complex stuff, and that's why you got confused. See, I've tried to avoid that because I already know, you know, and I'm just – it. and um, I'm not trying to say that you didn't make any progress, but it it, um, it it created some problems. So to me, Revelation is the most simple. Yes, no questions, five people there. If everybody gets the same answer, if they actually hear something – See, people will be skeptical. Are they really hearing something? And I've said before, I actually believe that if most people did this, they probably get a false answer. Mm-hmm. And so people would say, well, Dave, that's not validating your your system here. Well, just because they get a false answer doesn't mean somebody can't do it. Because it, it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere not to do this. I'm just saying there's so much demonic stuff out there, and so people... <laughs> are just so corrupt and selfish and uh, immature and dark and demonic. I'm talking about Christians. Yeah. I don't think we've ever talked about this. Well, actually, we probably have, but we actually think that most Christians have demons. That would get people upset. You know why? Because unlike your 10,000 pastors, okay, we actually do exorcisms. I'm basing this not on the Bible, because I don't think this is true in the first century. Mm-hmm. But it appears to be true now. You seem evidence in close proximity to you that this is yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody seems to have some problems with demonic spirits. Even if they're not in, internal, they're like um, hanging around, and you got to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And these people are blissfully unaware because... Most of the time, they're just see they don't do this kind of stuff in a local church. So um, if it's not going on there, they just assume everything is all fine. Did you know that in a local church, not only does the congregation but also the pastor assume 
that most people, I'd say, you know, 51%, but that you know it's higher than that. Because they believe that everybody outside the church is a general rule. They're going to hell. Now, most Christians believe that you have to attend church to be a genuine Christian. You, you know that, right? Mm-hmm. We've proven that to be false. It's it's not in the Bible anywhere. There's just no church building in the Bible. Okay? Yep. It's not there anywhere. It's not. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about... Well, actually, what I just said is true. Now, that's not true with the synagogue. But with both the church building and the synagogue, there's no place in the Bible where you can say, God said to go build a church or a synagogue. God never said that anywhere in the Bible. But at least you have synagogues. You don't even have church buildings in the Bible. It's a man-made tradition. That's okay. We're going to believe this anyway. This is an essential part of Christian belief. Have you been attending church, Chris? If you haven't been attending church, uh, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think so. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know they believe that. Mm-hmm. Well, that belief is false. It's not. Now, you ask them, well, what is your belief system based on? They'll say, oh, the Bible. And then you start asking these questions. And they go, okay, this is not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. This isn't. Can you find this for me anywhere in the Bible? And you'll notice that, oh, you're thinking about this for the first time, aren't you? But once again, same old thing. I mean, they, they haven't been thinking. You can just assume this right down the line. Have you been thinking lately? You don't even have to even ask them. They're not thinking. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen to a person who has never developed the habit of thinking, and all of a sudden they get um, on iTunes and they put a word in the search engine, and they come into our, they download our podcast and start listening to me. They probably, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'd like to film this kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of them will get puzzled and just kind of get a little smile on their face. Go, what is up with this guy? Some people I know will freak out, but uh, we've never had any nasty emails. So. Yeah, I actually uh I've been reading a few books on this too. I read a few lately. Uh I read this one called Heaven and Earth mm-hmm. by an author named Gabriel Hen Henriot. It's actually a woman and it was written like I think in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, a really old book. And then I also got this one, Terra Firma. It was written written in nineteen oh one by a David Wardlaw Scott. Yeah, had a really interesting part in here. They don't have these books on for free? Huh? No, I uh yeah, I I got a PDF of this this heaven and earth, but I got this this terra firma off Amazon. Okay. Yeah, but there's an interesting part in here where it says uh light comes out of darkness and it says it is good to pass from fiction to fact to have instead of a rotten plank a strong bridge on which to cross the stream in lieu of of panting in the foggy atmosphere of impossible theory to breathe the pure air of heavenly truth let us now therefore endeavor to learn something of what the bible tells us concerning the sun it says and god said let there be luminaries or light givers in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for light in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so 
And God made two great luminaries, the greater luminary to rule the day and the lesser luminary to rule the night, the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide between the light and between the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then it says, ah, says the skeptic, what a bungling performance must this have been not to make the sun till the fourth day. The world must have been left in darkness for three days. Be not so fast with your criticism, Mr. Skeptic. There was light before the sun's formation, as there is light without it now and will be hereafter. On the very first day of the atomic creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The record of which, as Longinus remarked, is one of the finest instances of the sublime. Light, strictly speaking, is a formation, not an original creation. God said, I form the light, and I create darkness. Great have been the differences of opinion as to light among scientists, some advocating the corpuscular and others the undulatory theory. Had they gone to the book they, which they so much neglect, they would have learned long ago, strange as it may seem to them, that light is born out of the womb of darkness. Darkness is not a negation, a mere absence of light, but a substance of various degrees of density. Thus we are told that at the beginning, quote, darkness was upon the face of the deep, and that, quote, God divided between the light and between the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there is an evening, and there is a morning, one day. Thus we find that in the mysterious order of what is generally called nature, but which, to speak more correctly, is the providence of God, light sprang out of darkness, a beautiful illustration of which truth the Apostle Paul, doubtless with reference to this very fact, gives us in spiritual things. Okay, and then it goes on to say, The darkness out of which light is evolved is of various degrees of density. Sometimes it is so gross or thick as to resemble that over the land of Egypt, recorded in Exodus uh, 1021, the darkness, quote, that might be felt as if by groping. Again, quote, Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was, Exodus 20:21. Milton writes of, quote, darkness visible, that is, where nothing but darkness itself can be seen, an experience which perhaps some of my readers may have known as, on one special occasion, I have myself. Thus it is evident that the opinion entertained by most that darkness is merely the privation of light is erroneous. As light comes out of darkness, it proves that darkness must be a veritable entity or substance. This may be marvelous to us, but all God's works are marvelous, and I do not know that it is more so than that water is composed of certain portions of oxygen and hydrogen gases. So I thought it was interesting how this book's he's saying that darkness is a substance <clears throat> in here. Yeah, you don't hear that. Yeah. I believe it's a substance. But it, you know, it was in this, it was back in this old book, you know, he's just talking about it. <clears throat> That's terra firma? Yeah, terra firma. <clears throat> what's, the, what's the author of this book called Heaven and Earth? Because there's a bunch of titles like that. Uh, it is, let's see, Gabriel Henriette. Like the angel Gabriel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See if that gets anything. Well, it's it's actually, it's that, but it has an extra L and an E at the end. Henriette? Oh, yeah, Gabriel? Henry. Yeah. Two L's? 
Yeah, two L's and then another and then an E at the end. <clears throat> and then Henriette is H E N R I E T. But I wanted to read a chapter out of the, out of this too, that heaven and earth. That's one of the things you want to do around here is uh, read out of books more. Yeah, this is actually really interesting in here. You'll you'll probably like this one. It says, uh, Chapter 4, On the Solid Dome of the Sky. <clears throat> it says, From the earliest times it has been believed and said that the heavens were not an empty space but a solid surface. The Chaldeans and Egyptians regarded the sky as the massive cover of the world, and in India and Persia it was thought to be a metallic lid flat or convex, or even pyramidal. Up to the 17th century, the earth was always regarded as the center of an empty sphere with solid walls, and on this account, it was always represented with a cover. This indispensable complement, however, was eliminated upon the advent of the theory of gravitation for convenience sake, as a solid dome limiting the space around the earth would have rendered impossible the extravagant motions of the planets which were sent revolving in the air at phenomenal distances. Thus, from this time, the fact universally accepted for thousands of years that the sky is a firm surface completely disappeared. Yeah. And then it says, uh, it should be noted, however, that the notion of the massive nature of the sky still subsists in the language. The word firmament means firm surface, and the French word, quote, C-L, or C-I-E-L, is derived from C-O-E-L-U-M, which signifies chiseled material. <clears throat> So nevertheless, the possible existence of a solid vault over the earth is a question of great importance in view of the tremendous consequences which would result from this fact if it happened to be true. There is no doubt that the general reaction is one of incredulity, but on the other hand, it can be considered that it is not without reason that the ancients believed in the existence of the material vault of heaven, nor without reason either that this notion should have been consistently handed down through the ages since the earliest times up to the 17th century in all parts of the world. The only alternative would be to be able to prove the fact, but it would certainly appear at the present time that there is no means of doing so. It may be discovered, however, that a solid dome effectively exists above our heads in an indirect and quite unexpected manner, which the erroneous interpretation put on the composition of the planets had not so far permitted to do. It can be stated at this juncture by anticipating on the next chapter which deals with this particular subject that the planets are not solid, opaque masses of matter as is believed. They are simply immaterial, luminous, and transparent disks. And in view of these circumstances, it is plain that the craters, asperities, mountains, and valleys which were thought to exist on the surface of these imaginary masses are the topographic features of the solid vault of the sky, which are illuminated and thrown into relief by the luminous and transparent disks, which we call planets. Did you hear that? Transparent disks. That's pretty interesting. Now, this author, she's a flat earther, that she thinks there's a dome. You know, the sky's a dome, but she also thinks that the planets are just light. Like, she thinks they're, that she doesn't even think they're solid objects, like I was saying. Okay. She thinks they're now, just there's white. There's a view out there. Um, a couple things we haven't talked about. There's a view out there that the, that the, uh, the moon is opaque, translucent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if those words are the same or different, but anyway, um, you can see through it. Yeah. And sometimes this is noticeable. 
Now, I'm not sure if this is true. Or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard. I've heard some views or some people think it's made out of glass, and I mean, because and I I know it has. There's there is some ancient accounts of it being compared to a mirror. So I don't. I mean, I don't know. It could be. I'm not sure. I don't want to focus on this, but I I just want to tell you this because I keep forgetting. But there's another view out there that the Earth is donut shaped. I'm just saying that because you don't hear people talk about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the that's that's what's shown on that stationary if square. You make the Earth fat and uh, make the hole small in the middle. Now that's an interesting cosmology. You see that? Mm-hmm. Because it's um, it's like half and half, half convex, convex, concave, and half convex. Yeah. Now you could you could uh, you could play with that. Let's let's adjust it, and let's um let's keep the outer perimeter that curvature there on the donut, but now let's uh let's smooth things out on the inside of the donut, and basically you turn it into a, a concave. Earth is similar to mine, with a hole in it. See, i got a hole in the middle. Right, right, yeah. It's very similar. You just smooth mm-hmm. that donut out. On yes. The, so the curvature on the inside of the donut and the outside are not identical. Mm-hmm. Donut that you let sit around for a long time and it started deteriorating on the inside because, is anybody going to eat this donut? How long has this been sitting around here, man? I think it's been <laughs> sitting around for a couple months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks like it's rotten. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It's a fascinating uh, book. Yeah, it also it, it goes on and says it is also to be realized that the lens of the telescope creates an appearance of convexity, which standing out in relief conveys the impression of a spherical mass. But this convexity effect is merely an op- optical illusion. I think she's talking about like the shape of the planets <laughs> when we look through a telescope. And then she goes on to say, the dome of the sky can be seen not only through the transparent satellite disks of the Earth with the help of the telescope, but also with the naked eye. In rare circumstances, it is true, i.e. when it is lighted by flashes of lightning during night thunderstorms. By a remarkable chance and in similar conditions, the author has seen the vault of heaven entirely illuminated and has even been able to observe it steadily for several minutes due to a rapid succession of sheet lightning discharges providing a perfect and continuous visibility. That's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And she goes on to say, The remark may now be made that if the ancients maintained that the sky was a solid mass, it was for the reason that they had ascertained the fact in the same circumstances, as many observers will now be able to do in the future. The possibility, therefore, of taking photographs by night of large areas of the vault of heaven can now be foreseen, particularly in those parts of the world where, owing to the frequency of thunderstorms, there are numerous opportunities of doing so. The aspect of the vault was that of a rather steep, slightly sloping dome of pyramidal shape, and it appeared to be composed of a bright metallic dark gray matter, uniformly showing small regular inequalities like lead, which has been beaten or chiseled. The larger details, particularly the craters, were clearly visible against the background, but the most impressive circumstance yet was the incredible nearness of the vault, the highest point of which did not appear to be, at the most, any more than 60 kilometers from the Earth. Now, it's funny that she says that uh, number, because... uh, 
that Wild Heretic and Stephen Christ, they both say that uh, their firmament is actually at 62 kilometers high. Because <laughs> they say it's uh, equivalent to the ionosphere, which is what they say that they bounce radio waves and stuff off of. They actually think that the, the firmament is the ionosphere, and they say that's 62 kilometers high. It's 100 miles. So when they say that they're bouncing these radio waves and stuff off of it, it's because it's actually a solid object, you know. See, we have a problem with the wild heretic. Um, well, I, I just thought it was funny how he, he... He's saying and affirming too many things that Stephen Christ says. Yeah, so no, I know. We've already figured yeah, out Stephen Christ. Uh, no, I, I think, I think well, yeah, I'm definitely suspicious of Wild Heretic, too. I mean, so here's, here's the thing. There's only two yeah. possibilities. Either um, he's not thinking critically, or um, he's in on it, too. You see? Yeah, no, I know. Right? He's probably in on it, to be honest. Because, I, I mean, I, just, just like the terms that he throws around, I mean, I just don't see how... An average person could even could even convey the stuff that he does like that. Now, the very first thing that he put up was these scientific experiments on his webpage. The first thing he put on his blog mm -hmm. that confirm appear to confirm a concave Earth, mm -hmm. Earth's surface curving upward. That's the very first thing he put up there. Yeah, I, I think that's the most valuable thing on his website. I mean, I put links to that. Given to people, you know. Try to refute yeah. this. Now, see, here's the problem. Um, how do you refute it? Are you willing to acknowledge that you can't? Mm -hmm. All yeah. you can do is come up with theories. Mm -hmm. But you can't actually refute it, right? Right. Is it true that you have to conduct the, uh, you have to have the means available and you have to conduct the experiment yourself? Yeah. In a mine. Yeah. See, that's what we're yep. confronted with here. This is frustrating. Mm -hmm. uh, look, look at how complex it would be if you were to go off and try to duplicate um, Cyrus Heat's experiment. Now, wouldn't that be something if somebody actually did that? I bet you they never have, but it was not publicized. It's just squashed. It'd be interesting to theorize. Now, I don't think anybody's ever bothered to do it, right? They just ignore it. Yeah, I don't think so. Wouldn't it be something... Uh, if somebody actually did, and they just, oh, we're not going to talk about that. And they got completely Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. They're not going to tell yep. you. So you're going to have to look at the problems that I'm confronted with here trying to get the message out about a cloud behind the moon. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it's turned out to be more difficult than I thought. It, it could the, the tide could turn any time. Uh, like if Johnny was to see it. He's got a lot of connections, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, somebody out there prominent needs to see it, and they need to tell other people. Not me telling people, but them telling people. Not me. It's, I think people have a problem taking me seriously or something. Mm -hmm. I just appear to be too radical uh, in this society. It's just, you know, it's kind of amusing to listen to him, but, um, you know, it, that's. We're talking about Dave here, you know. <laughs> He's a little mm -hmm. bit quirky, you know. That will change yeah. when you see a cloud behind the moon. Mm -hmm. That changes. All of a sudden you go, my God, man, he, was, he was right about that. Now what about all this other stuff he's talking about? you got to mm -hmm. factor God into the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bob made everybody stupid, and he showed this to Dave. So maybe I, maybe God showed him something else that we're mm-hmm. confused about, and that's that. You go from there. Mm-hmm. First, you got to see that cloud behind the moon. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it goes on and says, uh, it may be recalled in this connection that it one of, in one of the texts of Homer, it is stated that the height of the bell-shaped vault which surrounds the Earth is only twice that of Mount Olympus, approximately six kilometers. This estimation, evidently impossible, and which must have probably resulted from the exceptional purity of the atmosphere in Greece, which may be deceptive, gives nevertheless an idea of the manner in which this question of the distance of the vault of the sky from the Earth to which we shall return later on, is to be envisaged. And it, it results, therefore, from the foregoing explanations that the existence of a dome of matter encircling the Earth cannot be denied, and this fact completely revolutionizes the present-day concepts on the outer world. The Earth is not freely suspended in space, but is, it is resting on the floor of a cavity whose walls surround it on all sides. The sidereal expanse does no longer does no longer extend over unlimited and undetermined distances. The dimensions of our universe are now known to be restricted, and they are confined by the circular wall which encircles the Earth. It is by this obstacle that the radar waves are reflected, and we may also recall in this respect the theory of heavy heavy side leading to the existence of an upper wave-resisting atmospheric layer, which is no other than the solid vault of the sky. There is absolutely no solid body between the earth and the dome of heaven, since the constellations like the planets are nothing but luminous phenomena. So this author thinks that all the stars and everything are just lights. They're not solid objects. They definitely did not believe that in the ancient Well, that's interesting. Because of the Bible. I think she's... Did she ignore the Bible? Is that what she's doing? Well, that's interesting that she would believe that, though, in this in this book in the 1800s. That it's a flat Earth book, you know. I found this. I just I found this book for free in a PDF. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's value about the Flat Earth Society is they they, they have a uh, a list of books there that are free that you can download. Yeah, I, I have I most. Of those. I, already had, I already had most of those books in physical or in oh, okay. physical form. Yeah. Okay. You don't. You don't. Why, why don't you like PDF files again? I just hate I just hate reading off the computer. Yeah, but what if you had an e, uh, an e-reader? You don't have one, right? No. Okay, but what if you had one? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have one, you so know. I can't. Yeah, try to. Maybe you would like. Yeah. Could you sit there and read a book in bed? You know. Yeah. Do you uh, read books and then fall asleep? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I used to do that a lot. <laughs> See, I don't have my books here. Mm-hmm. This is the level that I've sunk to. I have this huge library, and it's in storage. And yeah. that costs money. Do that. Mm-hmm. So it's just not working. You know, I am not a money grubber. I've not tried to get money from people. And the proof is that I've lived in transitional housing with basically a bunch of criminals um, for a whole year now. I'm surprised that God has let this drag on this long. I never thought yeah. that I would live here a year and, and not be out of this place. Uh-huh. Now, this is a reasonably nice place. I don't want, and I'm not living in a ghetto or anything like that, but it's low rent, and that's why I'm here. And 
the people that they bring here, they come directly out of a penitentiary. That's why it's called yep. transitional housing. They're transitioning back into the system, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody here is from the penitentiary. In fact, when I first got here, it, it, there was a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of occupants, and um, half the people here were just here because of low rent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These used to be they were built in 1979. They used to be just regular apartments, and they, and they still look that way. They're just not uh, you know they've aged. You know. But it's not like a dumpy area or anything like that. In fact, I actually, where I'm at right now, I call it the concrete jungle, but I'm actually um, close to the freeway, I-5, that actually runs, you know, from uh, British Columbia all the way down to Oregon. And uh, that's right next to us. You do get some road noise here, um, like in the morning when when people are going to work. But um, it's where you have all the hotels. They're all like in one place in Tacoma. That's where that's mm-hmm. where I don't like it because where I was at, I was raised on a on a farm and with a big red barn. And uh, but the last place where I lived, I and mean, I could walk for like ten minutes, and I'd be out in the country where there was red barns. You know. Yeah. And this is it's totally different. I, I don't like it. Yeah. I, mean, I got to get out yeah. of here. I can't believe that he's let me stay here. But here's the thing. Okay, I have lived here for a year. Did I complain? Did I ask anybody for help? No, I sat here and suffered, didn't I? And yeah. that's proof that I'm not trying to, you know, get money out of people. I'm talking about survival here. Absolute yeah. survival. Uh-huh. If I cannot stay off the streets, this podcast will go down because I don't even have a phone. I lost mm-hmm. my cell phone. Mm-hmm. People need to help us. Yeah. Now, what people are going to say is, uh, are you working, Dave? I mean, this is the problem, okay? Yeah, I know. The problem is with one, I'll talk about this later because I'm going to create a podcast. The problem is with this one word. In the cult of society, we don't don't think about this. The word is work. Mm -hmm. Now, I can get people to acknowledge, this is the disconnect that we talk about. I can get people to acknowledge that if you were a scribe, did you know the Bible talks a lot about scribes? Yep. You know, for instance, Jeremiah had a scribe. His name was Baruch in the Bible. Yeah. And what did he do? He wrote things. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself this question. Was he working? Or did he yeah. have like a part-time job to support himself? No. That that was working. his vocation, you see. Yeah. So we don't have a problem acknowledging that he was working. And here we go with a disconnect. Now you go to Dave. Okay? And we say, well, D- Dave, you're not working. Okay. It all comes down to one thing. Did God... Well, first of all, you can't use the Bible to prove that what I'm doing is not from God, because it's not in the Bible anywhere. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to refer to a passage that people will think, oh, you're wrong, Dave, because it's right in the Bible. St. Peter said, <clears throat> but uh, um, I'm doing the same thing. And uh, as they did back then. And anyway, uh, so Peter says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, for people that can't think for themselves, they go, this is an absolute proof text, Dave, against your life. See, it says right here in the Bible. But is that true, Chris? I mean, it looks simple. How could anything go wrong? 
Well, it goes wrong with your thinking. You don't understand the biblical concept of work. You know what I mean? Ask yourself this question. Was John the Baptist a lazy person? Because the Bible says that he, among those born of women, there was no one uh, risen that was greater than John. Uh, was Peter condemning him? He said, you, you need to get your ass in gear, man. You sit out here in the wilderness, you have all these mystical experiences, but you know what John was doing? He was working for God. Now, that sounds funny, doesn't it? Because now you're starting to trigger it, that, that mind control programming. Yeah. Repeat after me. He was working for God. Repeat after me. He was working for God. You see, there used to be agrarian culture. These things are not in the Bible anywhere. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, in the first century, it kind of left us hanging. It was still agrarian culture. You see that? Yeah. Yep. Primarily. And when did this change? Well, it didn't change in the medieval era. All through the medieval era, it continued to be agrarian culture. Yep. When did it change? It changed in England when they lured people into London and the so-called Industrial Revolution began. And we're, we're supposed to believe that's a good thing. Yep. We, we absolutely believe it's a good thing. You know why? Because we love our programming. Mm-hmm. We don't focus on the negative things, the things that we lost. We lost a lot of freedoms. We got lured by what? Money. And things. Isn't that what the devil seduces people with? And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And we still love it. We still love it. Now, this is the money system. Money system we got now. We we, we don't want to get rid of this because we've been seduced into loving it. And we just say, well, if I just had more money, it'd be great. Not realizing that, you know, it's 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 never great. Even though Solomon said that money answers all things. Yeah, so the problem there is with the concept of work. You see, we don't understand that Peter would have acknowledged, well, yes, I'm not talking about John the Baptist. You know, I mean, Jesus was was following, uh, you know, the biblical model at first, but then everything went awry, and he stopped working and just started. See, we don't we don't believe that either. You know, Jesus, according to Peter, you got to have a part time job. You got to bring some money in. Jesus wasn't doing that. He was relying on donations, wasn't he? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we have this systematized way of doing everything. Now, if you're a um, if you're a um, evangelist or a missionary, oh, you can do that. But see, Dave, you're just staring at a computer screen all day. You're not working, Dave. God doesn't approve of this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of this just validates whether there's a cloud behind the moon or not. If there's a cloud behind the moon, it actually validates me. And I need to be supported because, see, you look around and you go, who's doing this? Well, if we don't have anybody else doing it, then this guy needs to be supported so he can t- continue to focus on what God gave him to do and not be distracted. Because every hour that I spend <clears throat> trying to support myself is one less hour that I can do what I'm gifted to do, Right? And in all these ancient cultures, they didn't have people doing part-time jobs. They did peop- uh, They did in accordance with, with their gifting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They focused on acquiring wisdom, and the purpose was to distribute it for the benefit of the whole. That's what this is all about. It's not to make yeah. Dave smarter. And then Dave isolates. It's all mine. You don't can't have any. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. You know. 
And so um, I'll be talking more about that. I kind of had to get that off my chest because I know that people have that mindset about uh, that passage. If a man will not work, he will not <clears throat> he will not eat. You know what I mean? The, the problem is with the word work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a false modernistic concept that is nowhere found in the Bible. John the Baptist and Elijah were not lazy people. Because what was Elijah doing out there? God wanted to go, <clears throat> and this is amazing because God actually gave me that passage from a prophet. Uh, that specific passage where God told Elijah to go live by the brook and be fed by the ravens. And I was actually willing to go out in the wilderness with a backpack. And then uh, Eric actually prophesied for the first time, more than he ever has since, like this one time in his life. And God was spoke to him, and he just transferred it on to me. He was driving down a highway. <clears throat> and I was looking at a map trying to determine where to go uh, with my backpack. It, it sounds, you know, amusing now. But the thing is, my intentions were good, and I was willing to obey God. I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be taken literally. And what it had to do with was not going to, you know, here or there, but it had to do with provision, you see. And that's why I had such a hang-up all those years about asking people for help, because I had this mentality, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, you know what I mean? Well, two months ago, he didn't provide. I had to borrow $100 to pay the rent, you know what I mean? And I think that God is, this is my theory, I think he's getting uh, my attention. Sometimes God speaks to you and sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes when he doesn't speak, he just kind of moves you almost forcibly. You don't really have a choice to do something. I know this is true because um, I lived in a house for 10 years by myself and occasionally I had roommates. Um, I was pretty comfortable there. I had cow fields around me. And... um, I was working in a landscaping company, and uh, this one particular winter, uh, there wasn't enough work, and I was like studying like I've never studied before. And uh, I wasn't being very practical, and I just ran out of money, and I just kind of ignored the whole thing. And I actually came to an abrupt end where I had to leave. And my and my my landlord uh, was my my aunt and uncle. You know what I mean? They gave me every break. I had no money, you know. And I should have made more of an effort to try to get some work out of my uh, my boss because I was I was being too passive. But I came down; I had nothing, so I was forced to move. Now I believe that that was God because he he wanted me to move. But did he give me any kind of revelation? No. See, sometimes he doesn't do that. You don't have a choice. And I think he's forcing me to ask for help. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or before, I didn't have to do anything. I, I lived in that house for 20 years, and um, the extra money, because I had no, I didn't have to pay the rent, so the, all, any kind of extra money just had to do with uh, what kind of quality of food am I going to buy. Because I was buying organic food. You know what I mean? So if I had more money, I'd buy even better food, and if I had less money, I'd buy, you know, partially organic. You know? I had no worries, you know. You know, I was poor. I didn't have a car. Actually, that's not true. Um, I actually had three different cars for a number of years, but I haven't had one since 2005. And I believe that God actually took took that away from me, you know. But um, anyway, 
we need to talk about these things from time to time. So uh, if I'm, I'm on here and uh, suffering at my end, it, it's going to come out every once in a while. I'm not going to be quiet about it, you know. you got to let people mm-hmm. know. So Yeah. And you're, you've been helping me out. Chris has been helping me out. James has been helping me out. Well, let's just get this out on the table, okay? What we we get together in groups and we try to get revelation, and everybody assumed, including myself, this is to my credit. It, it actually didn't. I don't remember it ever crossing my mind. After I left that situation, and I lived with a guy for a short while, I, I assumed that I I had to work. There's just I couldn't see any other alternative. So I, there, you know, this is all changing now. I mean. This is a new era here. Okay, I got to go to work, you know, and, and this is tough because I'm in my late fifties. Because you've been mm-hmm. out of the whole system for for over twenty years. This is not going to mm-hmm. be easy. But you know, God will provide. And so um, everybody thought that way. I thought that way, and actually began with you. You claimed that um, the Lord showed you that I wasn't supposed to work. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then. That kind of got my attention, and I'm going, hmm. So what I did, I went to the Lord and got the same thing. And then I wanted to run a check on that. Now, most people would see they would never go through this evolved process. It shows you that I'm trying to get the truth as much as I can. So it shows you my intent is genuine, even if I'm misled. My intent is good, and people should give me credit for that. So what we did, we got together. Uh, you weren't there. Hector was there. James was there. I can't remember who else. And guess what? They got the same thing. Surprise, surprise. So that is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm actually trying to obey God. He doesn't want me working. We don't have any evidence for that. Like I said, I assumed that, and guess what? I was wrong, and so was everybody else. <laughs> and if we're deceived... At least we're genuine and our intents are good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, God will bring us some, to some kind of revolution, uh, resolution if we are deceived. I, I don't believe we are. So um, that's why I need, I need help. Because what happened is that um, well, the people who have been helping me, they've been struggling. One guy well, basically dropped out. And that's what – it was a very delicate thing there. Everybody had to, you know, and then, you know, you ran into trouble yourself, okay? Yeah. When I first got here, I had two people for the first three months that had made a commitment to supply the rent. And then the very first month that I was here, they raised the rent $100. And that was $100 beyond what I could handle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, did I ever have to scramble to try to pull that one out of the hat. A lady sent me $100 in cash at the last moment. Otherwise, I would have been out of here. Mm-hmm. In cash, and I, I spent like two hours on on uh, the computer trying to convince her, please do not do this. <laughs> please don't send cash. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I couldn't convince her, and uh, she's an older lady. Uh, you know, she's in our Facebook group, and, and she said, don't you trust in God? You know, Eric sent Connie $20, and it didn't arrive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty paranoid, and uh, she sent me another hundred dollars another time, and sent it in cash. And the second time, I just I tried to talk her out of it. I said, "Oh well, you know, whatever." And that arrived, you know, and it needed to because if it hadn't arrived, I would have been on the streets. Because every month it comes down to this big drama, 
am I going to be able to pay the rent? Because you don't really know uh, until like the last moment. It's just it's driving me crazy. All we really need um, is like, well, like another person. You know what I mean? That would make significant contributions. But Connie's talking about, you know, and this is the way people should be thinking. People just sending like, you know, five, ten bucks, and that would solve the problem. Yeah. A, a wider number of people involved, because you know people can handle five, ten bucks. You would do it over something like, um, you know, pal talk. You can't wire the money because it costs too much to wire the money. Mm-hmm. You're not even doing so. Anyway, I got to get it off my chest because uh, I got to do a podcast on that subject, and I'll be covering some of that ground. I think people need to hear this, you know, more than once. Um, yeah. I don't think they're, I think they're going to be slow to respond, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But if if I'm on the streets right now, if I was on the streets, I wouldn't be able to do anything because uh, my two laptops uh, are on the they're not working right, and uh, I'm using a desktop that I wasn't even using before. I hadn't used it since of having turned it on since February of 2013, according to what a computer said. And uh, I would not be able to to get on the internet because you can't you can't use a desktop in a coffee shop and you can't use it in the library. But I'd be homeless, you see. This is a month to month thing, and uh, we just get a little security here. Our our podcast doesn't have security, see that. So, I mean, you could have people that you know. I don't agree with Dave. I think that he's missed the boat somewhere. But, you know, he's sincere, and uh, I think his intentions are good. I think he's misled, and uh, I think he needs to talk to my pastor. But, you know, something, I, I like this this podcast. It, it makes me think, and um, I'm going to send him 50 bucks. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what we need. So, anyway, enough of that. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to finish this chapter. Okay says, uh, the meteorites are obviously fragments which become detached from the vault and reach the Earth. These masses, when analyzed, prove to include a high percentage of metal from which we can conclude that the inherent brilliance of the sky is due to the presence of metals in its composition. The fact is that the Earth, at the beginning of time, must necessarily have become separated from the adjoining mass which constitutes now the vault of heaven and therefore the parts now divided must contain the same elements. All the metals and ores of the earth are consequently present in the surface of the sky. An association is actually made between metals in the sky since the latter is is instinctively compared to lead and copper in very hot countries where Roiling temperatures intensify its metallic action and render it more perceptible. In classical literature, there are two specific references to the metallic nature of the sky, apart from the one to be found in the Egyptian cosmology, but the former may not be independent of the latter. First, we read in the poems of Homer that star-strewn Olympus, dwelling of the gods, is made of glittering bronze, and secondly, in the Old Testament, the prophet Job gives what may be regarded as an exact definition of the sky when he proclaims it to be a mirror of molten metal. 
It is to be observed in this connection that when poetical reference is made to the silver mirror of the moon, it is the metallic surface of the dome appearing under the transparent disk, which, in reality, may be described as a silver mirror. It may further be remarked that in the mythology of the Orient, the attribute of the sun goddess is the sacred mirror. This is another association with the true nature of the vault, and it must be admitted that the latter, especially when it shines and sparkles under the sun, undoubtedly looks like a mirror. It has frequently been observed that there is a resemblance between glass and the sun. In the 6th century B.C., M.P. Docles regarded the sun as a vitreous body which collects and reflects the light of the ether, but has no luminous power of its own. The British astronomer Palmer in the last century held the view that the sun is a lens which, he also said, transmits to us the rays emanating from the Almighty. It is further known that Ptolemy, in his system of the constitution of the universe, speaks of the existence of a crystalline sky, i.e. a sky in the nature of a transparent mineral substance. One may think in this connection that it is not impossible that due to the heat developed by the passage of the sun's disk, there may be a fusion and vitrification of the sil siliceous materials contained in the vault, so that it becomes coated in certain places with a layer of glass, which would communicate to the solar disk by transparency identical properties, so that it might become similar to a lens. The presence of dross or slag similar to that formed on fused metal has also been observed on the surface of the sun, which is really, owing to its transparency, the foundation of the sky, and this seems to confirm the possibility of thermal and chemical reactions taking place among the elements which compose the vault. It can now be understood that the light and the heat which appear to be produced by the sun do not proceed from this source, but are due to a burning glass effect which is generated by the brilliant metallic surface of the vault under the luminous disk. Under these conditions, all the vivifying and beneficial properties which are attributed to the sun must be transferred to the solid dome of the sky as well as the rays. These are not the sun's rays, but they are the rays of the metallic surface of the vault. Yeah, I don't know what to make of all that, but... <clears throat> It is also obvious that the electrical discharges which produce lightning take place between the mass of the earth and that of the dome of the sky. It can further be surmised that parts of the dome expand and split or explode under the stress of the passage of the intense electrical currents and of their discharge, hence the short det detonations called thunderclaps, which are later amplified into loud rumblings and reverberated in the interior of the vast cavern which contains the earth. It can further be remarked that crashes of thunder are always immediately followed by a metallic resonance similar to that of bronze or brass, and it can be said that this particular resounding, which is clearly percept perceptible, is certainly produced by the metallic walls of the vault, which are made to shake and vibrate under the stress of the detonations. The ancients have said that rain is part of the waters which exist on the other side of the vault and which pass on onto this side through cracks. It may be remarked in this connection that rain is always discharged at the end of a thunderstorm, that is, after the sound of the splitting of the dome. Otherwise, the thunder has been heard, and this fact would seem to substantiate the theory of the ancients concerning rain.
Lightning is a phenomenon which results from the electrification of the vault, but it must be explained that the luminous branches and ramifications which are observed in what is called forked lightning are not lightning at all, strictly speaking. Neither do they traverse the atmosphere as is believed. They correspond to luminous electrical currents which travel in the vault of the sky itself where they follow irregular tracks, probably metallic veins, and it can also be seen that they adopt the convex shape of the vault. These currents contribute eventually to the accumulation at a certain spot of the quantity of electricity which is required to cause a discharge towards the Earth, which occurs then in a direct line. The comets, meteors, and shooting stars are phenomena which also have their origin, like the so-called forked lightning in the mass of the vault, The author definitely knows this to be the case. Comets are spontaneous luminous manifestations which are created by electrical reactions occurring in the vault of the sky, and this explains their unexpected and sudden appearances as well as their rapid and erratic movements, indifferently direct or retrograde. The passage of a comet is not accompanied by sound. That is to say that there is no electrical discharge, like in the case of lightning, which causes the vault to split and detonate. It can be surmised that lightning takes place in the thickness of the vault, whereas a comet is a surface phenomenon. The orbit of comets, which may be seen to sweep across the vast expanse of the sky, is described as parabolic. This means, in fact, since the passage takes place on the surface of the dome, that the orbit follows exactly the curvature of same and acquires, therefore, a seemingly parabolic shape, or parabolic shape. The formation of comets seems to be due to the influence of the satellite disks of the Earth as they pass at certain points of the vault of the sky. Otherwise, when they occupy certain degrees of the zodiac, particularly the 29th degree of Sagittarius, In the case of Enki's comet of December 21st, 1795, the sun was at the 29th degree of Sagittarius. In that of Brooks' comet of November 11th, 1911, Mercury was passing at the same degree. And again for uh, Donati's comet, October 2nd, 1858, it was Mars which was affecting its passage at this very spot. The same remark applies, moreover, to the third degree of various signs, particularly Gemini. In the last case mentioned, that of Donati's comet, Uranus was at the third degree of Gemini. For Halley's comet, which returned on March 4, 1910, Mercury was at the same degree, Venus at the second degree of Libra, Mars at the second degree of Cancer, while simultaneously Saturn passed at the 29th degree of Aries, etc., All these circumstances, which cannot be coincidences, point evidently to the existence of a mathematical law governing the formation of comets through the combined agencies of the satellites when they pass simultaneously at various degrees of the zodiac. And since the satellites have a regular motion, it follows that the periodicity of comets, if it does exist, may be due to this fact. Shooting stars are not to be confused with the stars in the ordinary sense, which form the constellations and move at a very slow pace. They are luminous manifestations which glide rapidly on the surface of the vault of heaven without any electrical discharge towards the earth. They are thus related to vault lightning, especially as they sometimes can be heard to emit crackling sounds like sparks. Meteors are also luminous phenomena resulting from electrical reactions which occur in the vault of the sky. 
It has been observed that they are frequently accompanied by detonations and by a sound similar to that of thunder, which is therefore caused by the splitting of the dome, so that there can be no doubt as to their real origin. It has been calculated that the height of meteors never exceeds 90 kilometers, and this figure could... Confirms the estimate which is given further on of the probable distance of the vault of the sky from the surface of the earth. From the ancients, we know that the heavens at the beginning of time were adjacent to the earth, which is consistent with the primeval dislocation from the surrounding mass, and that they were progressively lifted in the course of ages. This rising of the vault could not have been very great. The mere fact that the latter can be seen through a telescope under the satellite disks of the earth as well as with the unaided eye, as stated previously, indicates that it cannot be very far away. It is not true either that man's eyesight can cover an infinite distance, even with the help of the most powerful instruments, keeping in mind at the same time a possible magnifying effect due to the different densities of the various atmospheric layers, so that it must be accepted that the dome of the sky is incredibly low. If it were an enormous distance, meteorites would disintegrate and become pulverized and rain be... volatilized before reaching the earth. There is not and there never will be an absolutely reliable method whereby the exact distance separating the surface of the earth from the sky may be ascertained. It is very doubtful, as a matter of fact, whether the laws of physics which apply to terrestrial conditions would still be valid in the case of the upper atmosphere and of the spaces adjacent to the top of the dome, but certain data can be taken into account. The height of the heavy side layer, which is the dome of the sky, has been measured by the time taken by radar waves to return to Earth. This distance has been given as being from 40 to 50 kilometers in the daytime and 90 kilometers during nighttime, but the figure obtained for the day may be considered unreliable since it may well be believed that an acceleration takes place in the propagation of the waves due to the heat of the sun. It is known, on the other hand, that the thickness of the atmosphere has also been measured, but the atmosphere is invisible, and since the dome is the only surface on which the eye can rest, it is clear that the thickness of the atmosphere means the height of the dome. In the 11th century, the the Arabs, by measuring the duration of twilight, assuming that their method is acceptable, established that this thickness is 92 kilometers, and nowadays, by the same method, a figure of 64 kilometers has been obtained. A similar indication comes from Ceylon, where the inhabitants claim that the dome is there particularly low, being only 40 miles high, i.e. 60 kilometers from the earth, and it does not necessarily follow whether this statement is based on conviction only or not that it is untrue. This figure is also consistent with the impression of the author who has seen and observed the dome of the sky during a sufficiently long period of time to enable its probable distance to be judged as well as humanly possible, and the conclusion is that the distance separating the surface of the earth from the sky, and which may vary in some places, does not exceed 80 to 90 kilometers. The first I was telescope- going to say that she must think that this, before she started talking about this, you know, the distance from the firmament to the earth, she must think it's very low. Yeah. And, and that's true. Yep. The way she was and- talking. Yeah, and then it says the first telescope used by Galileo, Galileo, which was of his own construction, had only a threefold magnifying power. Nevertheless, he could, with this small instrument, see the eminences of the vault, described by him as being the mountains of the moon. That is to say that instead of saying 80 to 90 kilometers, 50 to 60 might be near the mark. 
The vault of the sky may not be absolutely rigid, but may at intervals alternate, alternately recede and advance so that under these conditions, the, charges, the changes of atmospheric pressure would obviously result from the varying heights of the vault. The azure, the azure color of the atmosphere may be due to the presence in the surface of the sky of certain metals or of their alloys, which provide a blue coloring matter, such as copper oxide or cobalt. This latter metal, particularly, which is used for producing blue-colored glass, is found in very large quantities in meteorites, and its color would, could be diffused by the sun onto the atmospheric layers, even if they do not completely reach the top of the dome, as the latter could cast a reflection from a distance. It might also be inferred that the reddish tint of the transparent disk of Mars is due to the fact that the part of the dome which underlies its orbit contains iron oxide, which provides a compound of this color. That was it. <clears throat> its orbit. Yeah. And she believes that these, quote-unquote, stars shift around in the firmament. They yeah. Not fixed. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if she believes the sun and moon were above the firmament or below it, I couldn't really tell. It almost seemed like she thought they were above it, above this dome. Which would have to be translucent. Yeah, yeah. Now, she actually was talking about... I just thought that was interesting how there was this author who's actually talking about this dome and, like, physical... Like, she's saying she actually saw it and stuff. You know, like, in, in lightning storms, it can be illuminated. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, uh, what would be the ideal conditions? Yeah. To see it? I, I think it would maybe be, you think it would be daytime or nighttime? She was saying nighttime when there's a, light, you know, a lightning storm. Wow. She, she was saying the light, she saw. She said the lightning actually illuminated it and she could see it, you know. Now, we've got a problem here. We have a phenomena that is present every day called global dimming. You familiar with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. As a result of all these chemtrails. Yeah. Now, they started heavy spraying. Some people say that they've been spraying chemtrails since, like, World War II. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm Probably. But they started doing it heavy duty in 1997 when it became really noticeable. Yeah. And they've been doing this now for, you know, a long time, and it's having... An unbelievable effect on on nature. Everything you want to talk about devolution. Everything is deteriorating just because of the chemtrails. You know, if if, if everything was static uh, in nature before 1997, then it would be devolving after that. Yeah. Just because of chemtrails. Mm -hmm. And it's starting to get really serious out there. I mean, it's kind of scary. I've heard uh, people come on, like, actually, like, coast to coast AM, and it just, like, just blew me away, just going, whoa. And it's like, well, duh. What do you think is going to happen after you spray chemtrails year after year and all that time has gone by? You're going to have some serious deterioration. But anyway, with this global dimming, we would uh, have problems to overcome seeing the firmament that other people didn't have. I mean, it's more difficult to see it now. Yeah. And when they do things like that, um, they do them ideally for a multifold purpose. In other words, they try to accomplish as many things as possible. Mm -hmm. You have to wonder if um, trying to obscure the heavens 
is um, another reason why they did it. That's that's a good question. Because they're they're obviously blocking out the sun, which is the life. It's it's cooling things down. Yeah. But it's affecting man because we're receiving less. Um, well, it's going to affect you know. There's there's relationship between the the sun and the ethers. Yeah. Yep. And sunlight, and we're receiving less of that. That that's the reason yep. why they would do it right there. Mhm. It's always amazing how God allows this stuff to happen, isn't it? Mhm. Yeah. And you just have to believe in these cycles that things are going to eventually there'll be an upswing. That's what I told uh, Justin last night. You know, I mean, if you don't believe in the God, if you look at reality, it appears that everything is cyclical. Kind of like an overarching philosophy. And so uh, based on that principle, um, as long as the the creation continues to exist, eventually there will be an upswing, and therefore there's hope. Because if you don't have a God, I mean, you're just, you're you're looking to man for hope. (laughs) You don't want to look to man for hope. Or... Like I said last night, um, you're looking for aliens to help you, like New Agers do. Where are the aliens? Why don't they help us? And you can tell the whole thing's fake because they always have these stupid excuses. Uh, we have a policy of non-interference, you know. Oh, yeah, I know. If you guys are yeah. ready to destroy yourself with atomic weapons, then we will intercede on behalf of the planet. Otherwise, you have to work these things out to your own free will. <laughs> That's yeah. for stupid people, man. Come on. Yeah. Um. Did she say that the uh, the distance of the vault has changed at some point? Did she say that? Yeah, she was just saying uh, varying measurements. Uh, she was saying. He said right here, in the 11th century, the Arabs, by measuring the duration of twilight, assuming that their method is acceptable, established that this thickness is 92 kilometers, and nowadays, by the same method, a figure of 64 kilometers has been obtained. The thickness of the firmament? No, the thickness of the atmosphere, which would just be the the distance between the earth and the sky. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So she basically said that it can't be any higher than 90 kilometers based on all the all the measurements that have been done. It's it's like in the ballpark between mm-hmm. 60 and 90. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's just interesting because that's where they say that the ionosphere is, which is what they bounce, supposedly bounce radar waves and everything off of. So you think it's really bouncing off the firmament? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like you're shifting um, away from sky centrism to the old uh, solid firmament in the sky. Is that true? Yeah, no, I am. Yeah. Okay, okay. I just, I'm not sure if it's shaped, though. I don't know if it's a dome or if it's flat or what. I am not sure. Well, it's arched. I'm not, I, I don't know. What would be the other option? Flat? Could be flat, yeah. Wow. I never actually considered that possibility. So I always like to hear... You can tell that she's an independent thinker. I mean, some of her uh, uh, 
ideas, even to me, appear to be very eccentric. Uh, like yeah. Stars. Yeah. Oh, well, mm-hmm. let me give an example. I'm looking at the book, and the last chapter says, Is the Earth the heart of a gigantic man world? Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny how, you know, You'll have ideas that are. I mean, if, if you're going to categorize them as true or false, I mean, you know, it's not you know credible. But you'll have a significant element of truth in there. You know, the microcosm, macrocosm principle, which I think is valid. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I think that's uh, relates to the ancient concept of as above, so below, which the common man used to understand that, and it's that's been taken away from us for a reason. Mm-hmm. Just like they don't want us to think about simple things that reveal too much, um, such as knowledge is power. Three words. No, you'll never hear that on the television set. They don't want you to think about the value of knowledge. If you thought about the value of knowledge, then you would start trying to think more. Wow. So there's power in knowledge and information? Gee, I think I'm going to start using my brain. See? Mm -hmm. No, they don't want you to think about that. Just watch um, the blinking screen. You'll be dead in uh, 30, 35 years. Mm-hmm. Be done with you. <clears throat> Keep you occupied until you until then, so you don't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that um, the firm may, may be as low as she's saying it is? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's where they say the ionosphere is. I think it is the I think it is the ionosphere. So it's, you know, it, uh, change your view it, on stars as uh, tangible objects at all? No, I'm not. I'm still not sure yeah. about those. And we, we want to let people know that you know, it's see, it's okay. You know, you're supposed to have it all figured out. Did you know that? Like your pastor, your pastor goes to Bible school, he gets programmed, then he repeats the same thing um, for the next 40 years, and he goes into a coffin. This mm-hmm. is the approved method. You know what I mean? The reason yeah. I say this is because if your pastor starts changing his opinion, it's like, oh, did you hear that the pastor changed his mind about something? Mm-hmm. Chris, didn't you know that you're supposed to repeat the same thing, believe the same thing for the rest of your life? <laughs> well, even if that's true, you're going to have to have a process leading up to that where you figure things out. So you're going to have to find out that you're wrong about this, wrong about that. You know what I mean? What I'm trying mm-hmm. to say is it's okay not to know. So yeah. you're saying that... Man is very insignificant and very limited in his awareness of his reality. Like, you know, like an ant on an ant pile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you don't have a clue what's going on outside that ant pile, except for on the ground around the ant pile, okay? But he doesn't mm-hmm. know about the sky or understand humans or anything like that. Oh, we're kind of like that, you know? <clears throat> yeah. We only know our immediate reality. Once you get outside that, we're we're kind of lost. We're just theorizing. You know, like the ants going, I wonder what's out there if they were to theorize that they had a capability. You know, we don't know. You know well, don't talk about it. You're making me nervous, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got work to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what the number one um, uh, task uh, that the Illuminati has for you uh, to perform each day? What do you think that would be? Um, go to work. Well, I was going to say watch television, but uh, you can make the case that it's watching television now with the high. See, I believe the unemployment is well, it's a lot higher than what they say. I mean, yeah. 
But um, well, let's put it this way: they want you to work and they want you to watch television. You know, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's maybe a close call there. It depends on the individual too. Um, okay, now what do you think? There's debris that's falling from the sky. Now, I believe in comets, and a, co- a comet is a star, in my view. And I think the comet validates, in contrast to what she says, that stars are tangible objects that can move from point A to point B. Not the way she's talking. Like, say, like they could be little spheres or irregular. She says anything that hits the Earth physically is a, actually a piece of the firmament that broke off. Okay, but don't you... Okay, that's that's an interesting view, but don't you believe that the firmament is comprised of a crystalline, translucent substance? Um, There's gravel is it, falling. Isn't from. there a verse in the Bible, though, too, that says it's uh, it's like a metal? Like it, it indicates it's like a yeah, some Job. sort of metallic? Yeah. So it might, have, it might have metals in it, in its composition, like she's saying. So maybe that's explains why these meteorites and stuff have the presence of metals in them. Well, the heavenly light has to um, has to has to go through it. So how would that work with a metal? A translucent metal? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, you could have one because I mean, there's metals out there. You know, for instance, in these um, these crafts that they got flying around, the metals they have little pieces of them that they fall off or something like that, mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, notice how they don't crash like they used to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Because they had yeah. experimental craft in the military-industrial complex. They had all kinds of different levels, you know, hierarchy of uh, so quote-unquote UFOs. But they had a, a certain level in the military-industrial complex that were experimental. And like I said before, they were creating all these science fiction movies to scare people about aliens so that if if you came across one of these crafts, you would run away. Mm-hmm. The aliens might get you. Mm-hmm. And they actually had a, an, an emphasis on creating sci-fi movies uh, instead of horror. Because a lot of horror in the 30s and the 40s. And then it, it was more sci-fi in the 50s, you know, an emphasis in Hollywood. And they went back to the horror, well, a mix of horror and, and, and sci-fi in the 60s. But they emphasized, they had an agenda in the uh, 50s to program people with mm-hmm. the outer space type stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I asked Justin a question last night. He didn't really get around to answer it. But what do you think about uh, digression here? What do you think about um, this has to do with learning how to think about any kind of imagery? It could be a medieval painting. You know what I mean? How can you prove that that's authentic, this painting? I, I say you can't. Yeah, you I mean, can't. No. But any kind of imagery at all, um, do you believe that you can prove anything with any kind of computer imagery? No. No. See, people need to realize this. You've got simple-minded, um, well, some of them are Christian, uh, people out there that think they're researchers, they're talking about all these things, things that are on Mars. Crystal and cities on there, and there's pyramids. See how they haven't learned how to think straight about that? Mm-hmm. You can't prove anything. Richard Hoagland is, is, is a fraud. We call him Hoaxland, you know, because he's the guy that's been pushing historically the um, 
monuments to Mars. I mean, do you really think he's that stupid? No. Uh, the best case you could come up with is that he realized this at some point, then he decided to just keep going with it and not revise his book because um, he would make less money. You don't want to encourage critical thinking. What do you think about, you know, for instance, on Michael Heiser's old website, he had a, a, a picture of what appeared to be a Nazi, kind of a, kind of a, almost like a triangular craft. You ever see that picture? Uh, on Michael Heiser's website? Yeah, believe it or not, yeah. No. I know I know what kind of craft that is, though. I've seen that before. Well, you've seen pictures of um, these Nazi crafts. You know, they're yeah. in, like, storage or something like that. I mean, they're, sitting, they're on yeah. the ground, you know. They're not flying. Yeah. What do you think about that stuff? Do you think they have that kind of technology? Yeah, probably. But we can't prove anything with the pictures. No, no, I know. But, yeah, I think they probably did. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You know, you don't hear about... Why Why couldn't we have that technology? You always hear, well, the Nazis have this, the Nazis have that. So they like to create all this Nazi mythology. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't the British? But you don't really hear anything about that, do you? No. You, you hear about the, the Thule Society, spelled T-H-U-L-E. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly you can tra- trace these craft back to them. Yeah. You can't prove anything, you know. It's just stories mm-hmm. that we hear. Mm-hmm. I just wondered, it's not really that important a subject because you just really can't, you know, can't know for sure. So we were talking about, you know, the Nazi and Antarctica stories and the, the Hitler. He actually believes, Justin believes, that Hitler um, left the scene in 1939 and there was a, a false Hitler. I've never even heard that theory. Mm, no, I haven't heard that either. I, there was definitely, uh, well, there was more than one of them. There's at least two, because they look differently. It's just like the old, you know, Paul McCartney thing. And uh, unless they did, you know, radical restructuring of his face or something like that, which, now that's part of the Nazi mythology, too, that they did that with Hitler later when he went to South America. But see, the whole South America thing, that could just be tier two propaganda. Maybe he just went straight down to subterranean where a lot of these people go, and you just enjoy the rest of your life. You know, the golden carrot principle, and you get, uh, depending on, um, it's all based on rank and hierarchy and Illuminati. So if you're higher in rank, you get better life extension. If you're lower, you go, oh, we're not going to extend your life that much. We'll give you 20 years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, I think they go down there. If they don't, it's because they're they're not they're they're pretty low in hierarchy. But I would question whether they modified his face, facial structure. But there is evidence. But it's also promoted by people that are known agents like Sean David Morton. You ever heard heard of him? No. He's mm-hmm. a complete fraud. He used to be on uh, Coast to Coast AM, but I'm not sure they they won't let him on there anymore. So. He's got in trouble with women and stuff like that. He's a very entertaining person to listen to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So what do you think comets are? You're not sure or what? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the subject of rain. Um, 
What is she trying to say in there? Is this uh, compatible with the Book of Enoch? Well, what do you think the Book of Enoch is saying about rain and hail? It seems to say like there's openings. It says there's storehouses of rain and hail. Yeah, in the vault. It says similar stuff like that in Job, I think. Do you think that the rain comes from the... uh... We kind of have two cosmic oceans, so we need to give them a different terminology, but the heavenly ocean... Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, we're told that they come from the clouds. Right? Yeah, but sometimes it rains when there's no clouds. This is true. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, everybody's had an experience of that before. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? Yeah. And yet we weren't critically thinking, were we? They go, hey, mm-hmm. it's raining out, but there's no clouds up there. I thought it's raining. She, she also was saying how rain always follows thunder. I thought that was interesting. Like uh, the thunder is actually always. the dome. The thun the thunder is like the dome splitting, or or like it splits and then the rain falls or something. I thought that was you really interesting. That? I mean, that doesn't seem true to me. I mean, well, maybe that's like the thunder? maybe that's like it the the opening. You know, the windows opening or whatever make that sound. I, I mean, I don't know. Could be. Do you believe that Michael the Archangel is associated with thunder? Yeah. So do I. The average person would go, what? Well, we've been doing some thinking. Now, we believe, and you believe, that um, that Michael is associated with Thor. They're actually one and the same. Mm-hmm. Okay? People would think, I can't process that in my Christian brain. You guys are delving too much into paganism. But uh, I don't think I we need, want to go into apologetic right now for why we believe that. Um, so do you think that um, there's like these openings in the firmament and the rain comes through, and it must come through an opening, right? Yeah. And do you think that the angels actually open them, like in the Book of Enoch? Like yeah. Isn't that something? And do you believe... Now, hold it now. The Book of Enoch, doesn't it um, tell us that um, it seems to contrast with what she's saying, that the angels actually move the stars? These are the ones that are would be outside the firmament. See, I believe that the stars that are not in the firmament. Some of them are in and some of them are out. At the present time, I have um, a total of 32. There could there could be more. Uh, well, actually, I'm including the... the the two moons and the two suns. Mm-hmm. There's a quaternity there of light and dark that represent beings in a hierarchy. And um, do you think that there's any stars um, that are outside the firmament at this point? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Do you think the rest of them are in the firmament? Yeah. Okay. Because in the ancient world, they used to talk about these seven stars. Yeah. You start with their... That's and you you kind of build up from there, and then you you come to the realization, okay, now there's they have like they have twins, and those would be the the seven sisters, because these seven stars are identified with the seven angels that stand before the throne. That's what you got. That's what you got to understand. And then they have uh, they have kind of like cosmic twins and those are the seven sisters and then so that's 14 and they have dark twins 
this is one of the foundational principles of cosmic dualism. You have these opposites. And these would be the stars and the beings that are associated with them in a dark hierarchy. Because uh, the Bible talks about, you know, wandering stars associated with reprobation, like in the book of Jude. And, and you can hypothesize about what is this wandering star? You know what I mean? What that yeah. Because uh, it could mean more than one thing. I used to think I had it figured out, and then I backed off of that. <laughs> yeah. That's progress, by the way, Chris. Yep. Did you know that it's progress when you think you know, and then you realize that you don't? <laughs> well, when you thought you knew, you were deluded. Yeah. Well, at least you figured that much out. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, what we're doing around here is that we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think about the sun? Because they tell us that it's a gaseous object. It's not, uh, you know, physical. Think that's a lie? Yeah. Yeah. It would be like the moon. Mm-hmm. They're the same. They have tangible substance. So they're lying to you about that. Now, the sun is associated with the sun of God, and you'll see this. Um, it varies in degree of clarity. But up to like seven or eight times in the Bible, if you know where to look. And uh, I think there is kind of a slam at the Son of God. Did they create these crazy things about the Son? Because in the ancient mind, it was so close, closely associated with, with him, you know what I mean? And with deity. And so they're kind of like demoting him by saying these crazy things, you know what I mean? Don't you think? Yeah. Yep. Okay, now also the Aurora Borealis. Um now, people commonly associate that with, well, they call it the Northern Lights, but it's also um, cited in, uh, well, they call it Antarctica. You can't really have, you don't have a continent, uh, Antarctica, on a uh, on a flat Earth model. You have a, a ring of ice, which could be, have significant width. I actually think that it, that it does. It's not a narrow ring of ice. Like you actually see, you know, visually in these pictures, I think it's thicker than that. Mm-hmm. But um, what do you think that? Uh, well, maybe you haven't thought about this. What do you think explains the uh, the aurora? Oh, I have no idea. You know, the Hall of Earth is say that it's coming from the inner sun. Did you know that? Yeah, Stephen Christ says his whole. Stephen Christ says his whole explanation of it too. He says it's got something to do with the glass. Uh. Yeah, I, I don't know, though. Yeah. Well, because there's ice in in those two regions, I think it's natural to assume that it has to do with the ice. Sort of reflection and, off the ice and, or something. And light. And yeah. uh, I don't think you have to theorize about an inner sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if there's an inner sun, you know, because I'm a Hallworth. It, it's not necessary. You could just have a luminous um, interior. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to have an inner sun. And I told Justin... There isn't, if there is an inner sun, I'd say it's probably something they created. It's an artificial... Oh. No, I mean, it's an artificial construct. Well, I we need to talk about the hollow earth, because, see, we're going to have a different take on that than anybody else out there. Now, I'm listening right now in process to a 
podcast of a Mormon. His name is Rodney. And uh, he seems like a very likable guy. And a lot of people believe that he's the number one world expert on the hollow earth. But if you listen to Rodney, it's become going to become apparent to you that he has a trusting nature and he's um I just say he's naive about a number of things. It should be it should be obvious to you. Now this book is available for free um in a PDF. Mhm. I think he approves of that. So I I've got it. The neat thing about him is he goes into great detail uh, in the Bible using the scriptures, and um, he's a misappropriating. He's kind of like overly zealous, you know. He's one mm-hmm. of these people that tends to see evidence for the hollow earth everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to be like that a long time ago, and there's a tremendous amount of disinfo about about the hollow earth. And there's a there's a good website out there I ran into one time. I can't remember the name of it that exposes this stuff. And the guy's still a hollow worker. You know, they're creating propaganda, confusion, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the Illuminati has written books. They've cranked them out, you know, on this subject. And it's a bunch of garbage. So you got all this confusion. Are you a hollow worker? Uh, no. Okay. I'm not talking about... I think, there's, I think there's, hollow, there's hollow parts of the earth. I'm not a yeah. hollow earthy. Well, if those if those um, cavernous regions are large enough, you would actually qualify as a, as a hollow earth, or kind of like a semi-hollow earth. Because where do you draw the line? Yeah. Authoritatively. Mm-hmm. There's no authoritative way to determine that. No. Um, I may change my mind, but I still believe... Because, you know, I don't like spheres. I haven't modified it yet. Maybe I need to update it and create an oblate interior. Because I've never changed that. You know, last time I played around with it at all, I still had a, a, a spherical interior. You know, Hi, you said something I'm earlier about... Um, they created this inner sun... Um, see, I don't think the Illuminati is down there. I think God prevents them from going down there. Hey, Dave. Side? I'm going to have to get on. So why did you say that, then? <laughs> huh? Why did you say that about the this theoretical inner sun, if you're not a hollow earther? Oh, I just mean it's, it could be, uh, you know, they could have artificially created some sort of luminous you know, object down there just to give them light. Yeah, I'm not good. Just, I yeah, said I last night that they can build a, a planet. They could build Jupiter. They could build a super planet. They could, I mean, if there was room, they could do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're talking about a very small cosmos, but if you, if you go with their cosmos, you ask yourself this question, just setting God aside, which you can't do, but is there any reason why they couldn't do that? No, you just start small. You just keep building. Mm-hmm. They got plenty of time. Eventually, you'd be able to construct an artificial planet. Mm-hmm. So, if they could do that, then yeah, they could build um, an interior sun. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, 
I, 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 get, I gotta get. I gotta go here. Okay, you gonna go right now? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, something after you go. I'm gonna talk about the luminosity of stars and the moon. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let's okay, go. Uh, all right, Chris. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Yep. All right. Bye. One thing we've not talked about here um, is the luminos luminosity of stars. And uh, I just want to bring it up because I don't think we've ever mentioned it. But um, you know, they tell you that the moon actually reflects the light of the sun. And this is when you, you need to think critically, okay? So how is that actually going to work? Because, it, you know, when you get outside, uh, when there's a full moon, it's amazing, especially if you're up in the mountains. Like, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a mountain climber. I mean, you can walk around. You don't need any light. You don't need a headlight, you know? And we're supposed to believe that all of that is caused by a reflection of the sun? No. That's not true. They're lying to you about that. And the truth is, is that the, the, the moon is self-luminous. It has its own light. Now, it's possible that it does reflect light from the sun. I mean, there's no real way to prove that. But I'm just simply trying to say that in the ancient world, they believed that the moon was self-luminous. Now, this shouldn't be a huge problem uh, for people. But, you know, if you just believe what science says and just go along with the program, it, it's going to be a problem for you. But the reason I bring this up is because if you can grasp that, then it's, it's easier for you to understand that the stars are also self-luminous. You see, they're not reflecting the light of the sun just like the moon. That's what they tell us. You see, uh, they have their own uh, luminosity, and they all emit, uh, uh, you know, a unique um, energy field and and light. Now, the the Bible talks about, um, you know, where to look. It talks about dark stars. They can kind of have a a murky light to them, and these are the stars that are identified with beings that are, um, they're dark themselves, you know, that's the connection there. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out because I don't think we've talked about that before, luminous stars. So, um, <laughs> Chris is trying to figure out whether the moon is a disk or a, um, you know, a sphere. And we've actually had discussions about the possibility that it could be egg-shaped uh, and the uh, you know the, the the end of the egg is always facing the the Earth. Um, I don't believe the the moon is a disc, by the way. But you have to explain uh, not only the um, you know the phenomena of um, you know the blood moon effect with the eclipse, which we did on uh, a recent podcast. It's not. It's not uploaded right now, but it'll, it'll be up soon. And uh, is that they are lying to you right down the line about everything. Everything. If you pick up on anything that we're talking about, you know, even if we don't know what's true or you don't believe what we're saying, here's the thing. Once you see a cloud behind the moon, why should you trust anything they say? Well, you shouldn't. That's the thing. That's why it's so important 
to see that. So I've got that little podcast. It's 33 minutes, which does not prove that I'm an Illuminati agent. <laughs> I thought that was curious. The other one I put up there was three minutes long. But, uh, that, you know, that stuff does happen. But um, it's not that hard to see. of self-education. You know, you can't walk into a, uh, a Christian bookstore and, and buy a good book unless, you know, God just kind of bypasses your ignorance or you get a good book by random chance, you know. You have to have knowledge to even choose uh, be able to buy a good book. And I, I know because the books that I bought when I started out, they were absolutely horrible, you know. I mean, they're not even worth keeping. Um, and so it's like that with everything. And so when you get plugged into a church, I mean, you, you know, we've talked about, we've criticized pastors, and, you know, this is legitimate, but you're going to have to listen to your pastor and learn from him and then eventually realize, you know, a lot of things that he's saying, uh, they're simply not true. And, I hate to admit, my pastor, he seems to have an institutionalized mind just like everybody else in this society. Well, that's true. And how do we know that? Because there's a wide array of things. Forget about whether they're true or not. Just set that aside. They simply don't talk about them. Never. And if you ever brought them up, they kind of get a knowing smile. Like, you know, Pastor, have you ever thought about the possibility the earth could be flat? You know, that's an obvious one, you know. Uh, they'll even do that with the subject of UFOs, though, you see. Anything out of the box. The truth is, is that pastors have an institutionalized mind, and uh, that's just the way it is. And so, you know, if, if you're comfortable with that, you know, fine, okay? But you, you're not going to make any progression um, if you're if you're willing to function within the confines of what we call pastor world into actually interpreting our reality, because they are not going to define reality for you in a system of control. You're going to have to do that yourself. Now, most people are not sufficiently motivated to make the effort to try to figure it out. This, this is true. I, I guess look around. I mean, most people obviously just believe in what they're told. And, and if someone questions that and produces significant evidence that's not true, they say, well, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm just hoping it's true. And uh, and some people actually say, well, we'll find out in the by and by. You know what I mean? Uh, well, we, God will show us someday. In the afterlife, I mean, they really don't care about, you know, trying to figure it out. And that's, I can understand that, you know, I mean, Connie has really um, made it clear to me that, you know, when you are a housewife and she, you're homeschooling, I mean, you do not have a lot of time during the day to try to, you know, delve into profound things. It's just the way it is. So this is the reason why God gave me this lifestyle. To see somebody, let's go back to one thing, the cloud behind the moon. See, that validates me now. Okay. So, I mean, if God didn't approve of my lifestyle, he wouldn't have showed me the cloud behind the moon. He said, I'm not going to show that to you because you, you're lazy. You need to get out there and make a living for yourself. 
So, you know, I'm not going to show you this because that would validate your false lifestyle. So I'm not going to show you. But he didn't do that, did he? Okay. And uh, so we need to have people out there that can focus on these things because, I mean, um, you know, Chris has a part-time job, and I don't work in a classical modern sense at all. I rely on contributions, and yet I don't have enough time in the day to do this kind of thing. It's like every day, it's just the days are just flying by, and uh, I've, I've got all these things to try to figure it out. I mean, it's it's a very slow process, and like I said before, I even said last night, you actually run out of time. You you, you never figure it all out. You You actually die. We don't live that long. So this reinforces even more the fact that we need to have we, – we live in a society where we have specialization and compartmentalization of, of information. And I'm actually a journalist, but what I'm trying to say is that we need to have people who focus on knowledge and research. Uh, because, for like I said, every hour that you have to spend to support yourself, that's one less hour that you can do that. And they don't have a problem in doing this in other cultures. They never have historically. Western culture is the first culture, and I believe that one of the reasons they've done this is for a diabolical purpose, to keep people from figuring out um, what's going on, because it takes time. You've know, you got to work, 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 you know. <clears throat> so anyway, um, we'll let you go, and uh, hopefully you can support us. Um, if you see a cloud behind the moon, um, that can change your thinking. So I, I want to encourage everybody to get out there. And uh, right now, there's a reasonable-sized moon up in the sky. It's uh, December 10th. And uh, so it is you know, not that hard to see. So this is something that's very doable. You know, It's just um, staying focused enough to get out there and actually do it, okay? So I want to encourage that, and uh, I'm going to shut it down here. My Wi-Fi signal is a little weak here, so I may have problems uh, shutting the program down. But all right, we'll catch you later. Uh, and thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. All right, bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.